Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, January 22nd, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. I was thinking about the 20th. My son turned 20. Nah, my son turned <laughs> whatever on, on the 20th of uh, Saturday, the 20th of uh, January. But today's the 22nd, um, nonetheless. Um, coldest weekend I can remember in quite some time. Man. Um, I mean, oh. we get a little dust of cold weather, uh, you know, a little, um, sporadic cold weather from time to time, but nothing like this weekend. I mean, so this is something that, that Josh and I talk a lot about and we disagree on because I'm one of those, I don't complain about the heat of the summer because I don't like the cold. I just can't take it. I can't stand it. That feeling of being, you know, cold to the bone. I just, I just, and I Stay grew up inside. Well, I grew well, luckily, you know. Thank the good Lord, I can't, um, for the most part. But still, you know, you do have to traverse a little bit uh, and get here, what, here and fro. Yeah. Uh, but see, growing up in Ohio, I had plenty of the, the shoveling snow days and the 20 below days. So I'm just, I don't like it. And I, you won't hear me complain when it's 120 out at all. Now, Josh, on the other hand, he loves it. You he like the cold, cold weather, Josh? Love it. Why? I'm a polar bear. I don't Weird. know. I, but I mean, what, I, what about? I mean, you got to worry about your pipes busting, your car cranking. Your, I mean, there's just so many things. I'll go back to my. We talked a lot last week about business and and commerce. It sucks to build truck beds in 20 degree weather. I mean, it really sucks. You got pneumatic tools, and you got air compressors, and you got you know condensation in the lines, and the condensation freezes, and that nothing works as it's supposed to. You got batteries, cold cranking amps, and you don't want to buy the expensive battery because people steal the battery. So nothing ever cranks. I mean, we started to work at seven o'clock on cold mornings. It's eight thirty before you're really up and running. None of the machinery work. All the pneumatic lines are frozen. All the batteries. I mean, it's you know, it's just it's. <laughs> I want to punch in the mouth. Is what I want to do, Josh. Through wow, that, through that big window. <laughs> do we, There's nothing good. We, see, we take it personally. Well, I mean, Josh. no, you. I mean, I, he knows better than that, and you know better than that. But I mean, I just don't. We have something called a winer line. If you want to well, talk that, about that, it, that's my wine. I mean, that's my wine. If you are in industry and manufacturing, you understand how complicated it becomes once it gets really, really cold. Nothing works like it's supposed to. Now, don't get me wrong. When it's 110 degrees and the humidity's through the roof, and you know, gnats are flying all around. I mean, you kind of like, I, I wouldn't mind having a, an Arctic blast for an hour or two or three. But in the in the grand scheme of things, give me warm weather um, over over cold. It's just, in the in the world of productivity, and, and mine was about productivity, could we build X number of, of truck beds in a day? And it made it hard. I'll give you another example, Josh. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm whining. I mean, it's what I'm doing. I'm whining. It's you can't paint anything. I mean, the paint shop was the bottleneck anyway. And and when it's when when the metal's twenty degrees, you can't paint anything. You got heaters and torches, and I mean, you got everybody's mad at everybody else because nobody can stay warm. And it's just you ready? It's hell on wheels trying to build truck beds in twenty degree weather. I mean, it just really, really, really because once again, everything bottlenecks at the at the paint shop anyway, and nothing. You can't paint anything. You got. You pick it up with a four. Here's a good story, Rev. So you get in on a Monday morning at, uh, at building truck beds. You ready? You built one Friday. You know you got to paint first thing Monday morning. So you get there, and you've already you know it's going to be cold. So you went and got the heaters and you got the kerosene. You got everything ready to roll, and you know when you get there Monday morning, you're going to fire the heater up. 
and you're going to um, pick the forklift, uh, take the, the truck bed, pick it up a little bit, let the heat kind of, um, you know, just uh, radiate throughout the uh, the entire paint shop, the building and all. Um, but the forklift won't crank. So you got to go jump the forklift off. But the truck you're trying to jump the forklift off, it won't crank. It's a diesel truck. It's a farm truck. It won't crank. So you sling cables about as far as humanly possible. I mean, I've done that. Um, it, it's just, it is, um, it's, it's not a lot of fun. And, um, and I know there are many people out there working with their hands today and working with your hands in 20 degree, 20 degree weather is a lot harder than working with your, with your hands or working sweat of the brow where ain't no sweat on the brow on a, on a morning like this morning. But do you remember when, um, might've been Andrew Dockery said a few weeks back or a couple of weeks back. The El Nino effect is going to be profound. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to have un we're going to have unseasonally well, we're not unseasonally unseasonable weather this year. I mean, I remember him saying that. You know, with these these um, what do they call it? The the Arctic currents. I mean, I know yeah. we talked about storm fuel and the all fuel, that other stuff, fuel, but I mean, was... but he was talking about the Arctic, the Arctic, the jet stream. There you go. The jet stream is going to come a little deeper south because of the El Nino forces than normal. Led me to believe, I mean, I'm not a dummy. I mean, if the jet stream comes normal, comes further south than normal and it's got this bow in it and the bow's coming from the, you know, Montana, Wyoming, Canada, you, you got to believe it's bringing cold air with it, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't that stand to reason? I mean, he said the, the jet stream is going to bring, it's going to, it's going to go, go a lot further south this year because of the El Nino. And I don't have any idea what that means. I mean, I'm just taking him and his word. Yeah. Uh, was El Nino and La Nina, right? Yep. Two two different um, forces. Was it El Nino or, or La Nina? I, I, I think it was La Nina. Well, it's one of the other. Yeah. One, of, one of those things I know nothing about. Right. What matter if it's La Nina, El Nino? I don't know what that means. Me neither. Um, just saying what it says on the ticket, man. <laughs> um, but but anyway, he said that yeah. you know that that it's going to be unusual for the next little while because this this um th- this prohibitive current, and I'm talking about it says La Nina, El Nino. I don't know. Don't have any clue. Um, all I know is cold. It's real cold. It Although, was cold. It was cold Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Did you look at the weather for this week? I think it's 72 or 3 by the end of the week. Yeah, 72 on Wednesday, 78 on Thursday. But a good chance of rain, right? Uh, well, just about 20, 24% as of now. Well, let's you know, do this. Still let's early. just make something up. You okay. ready? Mm-hmm. I'm, blaming the, I'm blaming the cold weather on El Nino. I'm blaming the hot weather on La Nina. There you go. Yeah, we got El Nino it. and La Nina. That makes as much sense as I and can re- understand. And, uh, and Josh likes the uh, the colder weather. And and that just Josh has never built truck beds. I'm gonna call my brother when I get off the when I get off the radio today, Josh, and tell him you want a part time job. When you get off the air, you want to go down and build truck beds, and you'll change. You won't be a polar bear, but for just a for a little while. I'll tell you what you'll be. You'll be in confessional apologizing for all the foul language you use. <laughs> I can assure you of that. You, you'll be in church six times a day and, and, and eight on Sunday apologizing and praying for forgiveness for all the colorful language you use when forklifts don't crank or heaters don't work or batteries aren't missing. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, just, it's a different animal when it's cold than when it's, uh, than when it's warm. Good weekend of football. Um, probably the best weekend of the year. Competitive games. Um, it's kind of interesting. Got some new teams. The Detroit Lions, you know, win a playoff game at the NFL. That's kind of interesting, exciting. The Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, we're Gamecocks refs, so we keep up with former Gamecocks yep. in the NFL. A lot of my focus was on Debo, and Debo got hurt. And the 49ers struggled. 
after Debo got hurt. And then um, Love, what's his first name, the quarterback for the Packers? Uh, last name's Love. Jordan. Yeah, Jordan Love. Jordan Love puked it in the fourth quarter of a playoff game through a couple of horrible interceptions. Um, but first night, first big, big game um, on the road. And, um, and once again, had that game been in Green Bay, might have been uh, a different animal. 843, don't have much to add to that. I mean, not, not just cold weather. Stay warm the best you can. Um, we're heading, the days are getting a little bit longer. I don't know if you noticed that or not. We're getting about a minute of daylight at the end of every afternoon. I, I think I saw yesterday that um, sunset about a month or so ago was at 5.07, 5.08. Today, sunset's at about 5.37 or 8. And we were getting in the early days, we were getting about a minute of daylight every two days. Now we're getting about a minute per day. Not exactly a minute, but that accelerates as we get ever closer to February and then and then March. And um, I mean, I don't like this these short days. I just don't like it getting dark. At, well, it's not getting dark at 5.30 anymore. It's 6. But I still, I'm ready for a good 7 or 7.30. Because mm-hmm. uh, you go in the house and it feels like it's 11 o'clock at night and it's 7.30, <laughs> 7.30 or 8. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phones. Someone's there. Verd, Marlboro County. Hey, Verd. Good morning, man. Uh, two polls yesterday, Ken, out of uh, uh, New Hampshire. Uh, President Trump up 10.6 and 19.9. Uh, tomorrow afternoon, uh, South Carolina Trump campaign, we're going to have a uh, primary watch party uh, in uh calling bank set up for President Trump at the Darlington Post Office from 5 to 9 on 201 Pearl Street in uh, Darlington. If you've never been it, it's a beautiful place that they've turned into uh, the old post office into a venue. But anyway, I'd like to get a good crowd there uh, uh, and see how the uh, New Hampshire primary turns out. I hope we win 20-plus over Haley and end her campaign, but it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like she said she's on to South Carolina regardless of how she does. But uh, hopefully DeSantis people, you know, he was running fairly weak in uh, New Hampshire, but maybe he was running stronger than people gave him credit. And uh, hopefully we pick up a lot of those votes and maybe we can get out with a 20-plus or better win and maybe convince Haley to drop out. But, you know, Ken, you probably know her better than anybody. And I think it's all with her about power and money, and that seems to be the consensus if you look over the internet everybody that knows her and have known her that's that's what she's always been about thank you Bert. appreciate it i've got a theory on nikki and um i mean i've I've not talked to nikki in a long time i mean i ran with her in 2020 excuse me in 2010 she got elected i thank you Bert. appreciate the call she got elected i got elected and nikki and i've talked ah a dozen times in the last 14 years so i'm not going to overstate you know, my understanding, I'm not going to go down the road of, Hey, I know exactly what Nikki Hayes think, Nikki Haley's thinking and, and why she's so thinking she what it is. calling you for advice. She is. Well, I mean, we just touch base with one another yeah. over the years. Um, you know, nothing serious, just, you know, Hey, how you doing? Um, I think when she got appointed to the UN, I congratulated her. She reached back out. I mean, I'm not going to overstate that relationship. It was never, but it was always, she's doing her thing and I'm doing mine. I mean, we didn't run as a ticket then. I mean, Pamela Evett and, um, Henry, Henry McMaster ran as a ticket. Mm-hmm. When I ran, the lieutenant governor ran his own campaign. The governor ran her own campaign in Nikki's case. But but my theory, the only thing I can I can gather, and and once again, I've not talked to Nikki. I've not talked to her consultants. I've not talked to people close to Nikki Haley. I don't have any idea. 
but but the only thing that I mean, if if I'm putting myself in Nikki Haley's shoes, and I'm thinking about strategy long term, what is the strategy? The only strategy can be what if it all unravels? What what, what if Trump gets convicted of a major crime, and America first loses profoundly in November? And it's banished from the stage forever. I mean, it, it just goes away. It all unravels. Trump's in, Trump's uh, got these indictments. He's convicted. We find out things that we, oh, man, I wish that hadn't happened. Wow, I wish I didn't know that. I mean, I wish I'd have known then what I know now. I'd have voted for DeSantis. I don't know if, it, well, I have no idea what the percentage of that likelihood is. I mean, I don't think it's a lot. But if Nikki plays this out to the end, that has to be her strategy. That America first unravels. Trump gets smoked in uh, in November, and she's the, I told you so. I mean, I told you this was nonsense, this populism, this Christian nationalism, you know, the, this America first-centric uh, political agenda. I told you this thing was not sustainable. You can't bank on a guy as crazy, unpredictable, and chaotic as Donald Trump, and she's standing as the reasonable alternative, and she can be the I told you so person. Now, now once again, I mean, you're talking about a, a hope and a prayer, it seems to me a, a an extreme reach, but that probably is her only angle. Um, that it all unravels, that it all goes bad, that America first gets smoked in November, and the Republican Party returns to its three traditional, conservative, ideological, philosophically based agenda. That's all I can come up with. Now, there are people smarter, smarter than I, rest assured. But, but as I study and, and, and try to understand, where does she go from here? That's, I mean, she's declared her path. Now, now I talked to someone yesterday uh, off the record, but I can share this. I don't know how much money Nikki made. I mean, nobody really knows how much money she made. And if it all unravels, will the consultants keep her well? And I'm talking about donors. I'm talking about donors giving money to consultants. Consultants hiring her to run a think tank, and that keeps her well for four years. I mean, I think she bought a $2 million, $2.5 million home in Kiowa, if I'm not mistaken. And, I mean, Nikki never had any – I mean, there's no way prior to becoming, you know, U.N. ambassador and on the Boeing board, there's no way she could have ever afforded a $2 million. I mean, she tell you that. I mean, her family struggled financially. She says a lot about that in her uh, – in one of her books she wrote – um, but as I think about it, if America first were to unravel, she is well positioned as the, I told you so Republican. And then we get back to business as usual. I don't know what the likelihood of that happening is. I mean, I think it's slim to none. It's slim left town, but, but if you're her and you've staked that as your, I don't know, your, your, your political positioning or posturing, I, that, that's all I can come up with. I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, there are listeners out there smarter than I. I mean, what do you think? That That's all I can come up with, but I'm certainly not the smartest guy in the room. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Biggest news over the weekend, Ron DeSantis deciding to suspend his campaign. Um, I put something on Facebook yesterday out of frustration. I kind of wish I hadn't done it um, after I did. It was a little bit emotional. It's It's... It's frustrating to me as a, you know, a Republican that we waste so much of our resources on what the consultants in conservative Inc. espouse over, over the years. 
the truth is this, guys. There was nobody going to beat Donald Trump. I mean, there's just not. Somebody talked Ron DeSantis into running. I get it. I mean, I understand it. You can do this, Ron. You can do this, Nikki. You can do this, Doug Burgum. Uh, I, I get it. I mean, I understand it. But it's not motivated by principle. It's not motivated by a better government. It's not motivated by conservative ideology. It's not motivated by limited government. It's motivated by, you know, fleecing money from donors to fund political campaigns so they can pay consultants. Uh, but that's the nature of the GOP. Go back to what Robert Cahaley said on this show a couple of years back that one of his great frustrations is how much money we waste trying to fight one another instead of organizing and, and taking on uh, the Democrats. I read something, Rev, one day that about 92% of all money raised ends up on the quote-unquote battlefield of Democrats beating Republicans, about 72 or 3. I mean, we take about a 20% haircut. And somebody told Ron DeSantis a month ago that he could win, and he knew he couldn't. I mean, the writing's on the wall. Yes, there's such thing as a Hail Mary. And, and you know, there's been 60-yard field goals kicked to win football games. But but there's a I mean, there's an inevitability about. And, and, I think and the weird we, thing is there really has not been a primary vote yet. And we had the caucus in Iowa, but the first vote has not even happened yet. And, and I understand that. And I'm not saying, but, but you gotta, there's got to be some honesty within the process. Yeah. There's got to be some coming to grips with where we are. I understand that, that some of you, I would say a lot of you, but a lot of you aren't. A lot of Republican operatives don't like where the party is. I understand that. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure they don't make valid points at certain times. I mean, I really believe that. Um, I'm, I'm deeply concerned that this is too much about one man. I mean, I've said it over and over again. Can we sustain post the 800-pound gorilla? Can America first develop, grow, mature into a force in America? I don't know. Don't have any, I don't have any idea. Um, we'll find out in due time. Um, but but I, I'm, I'm bothered by how many consultants, and I'm talking about conservative ink, and they, they're not doing this trying to beat Democrats. They're doing this trying to find another another house in the Hamptons or Gulf Stream or whatever it is they do with money. Uh, but we, we just, we got to stop that. I mean, we, we spend enormous amounts of money beating up on Republicans when it's pretty inevitable. I mean, a third of the Democrats say they don't want Biden to be the nominee. It's probably closer to 40% of Democrats say they don't want Joe Biden to be the nominee, but they're not tearing him apart. I mean, you don't see these outliers. I mean, they're conversations, but they're civil. They're normally off the beaten path. And, and they'll address this. We do this out in the public, and, and what has happened is um, the, the voter and the donor, I've said it, had this asymmetrical relationship. And, I mean, the donor has run the party for a long time. I mean, the donor, and the, the donor pays the consultant. The consultant runs the campaign. And, you know, the donors get, and all the money gets sucked out of the system. And it's needless. I mean, how much money did Ron DeSantis spend in Iowa and New Hampshire? I mean, I think he spent between he and Haley, what, 70, 75 million, about $80 million in Iowa. Um, I mean, they would, have, they would have let this go on and on and on and on and on. DeSantis ran out of money. I mean, the consultants kept calling the donors saying, hey, if we can get to South Carolina, we can win this thing. I mean, if Haley gets embarrassed in South Carolina, it's a two-person race. We'll be with Trump. We go to Florida Super Tuesday. That's nonsense. I mean, that's that's impossible to believe 
But the consultants are not in the interest of Republicans winning. The consultants are in the interest of getting paid. And, and we got to address that in some way, shape, or form. Um, the, the consultant, I understand consultants have jobs to do, and they need to make a living. And the, the more likely the campaign is to endure, the more money they get paid. But we waste too much money. We waste, we waste far too much of the donor's money unrealistically believing someone has a chance to win. Why would anybody, I mean, I'll ask you, why would anybody make a contribution to Chris Christie? But they did. I mean, I can understand Haley and DeSantis. I mean, I can't understand today. If you're, if you're a donor, why would you write another check to Nikki Haley? But some consultant will come up with some media narrative, Haley's surging. That, that was never true. Haley never surged. I mean, she, she'll do okay with independents and Democrats in, in New Hampshire, and she may get 32, 33, 34% of the vote, but this election is over. And most knowledgeable observers know it's over. So why not save that money? Why not put that money up somewhere and try to beat Democrats? Because conservative Inc. is not prioritizing beating Democrats. They would rather get paid and lose to Democrats than, you know, be reasonable and rational about what they tell candidates uh, in the long run. That's the difference in the Republicans and the Democrats. So, but the Republicans spend their money beating one another, whether they have a realistic chance of winning or not. Doesn't matter. Everybody's got to get paid. I got jet payments and boat payments and beach house payments and farm payments and all these other sorts of things. I'm not, I, I'm not worried about the country. I'm not worried about good government. I mean, I'm worried about this business that I've got. And we fund that business enormously, far too much. And I think somebody inside the GOP has to look at, not now, but it's too late to do it now. But when Trump announced he's running, to me, there was enough data that says, wow, I mean, if you're getting in to run against him right now, I mean, you're fighting a giant. I understand you have a right to fight that giant. I'm not discouraging anybody from getting in. What I am discouraging is the donors buying into the narratives that Trump is going to be beat. Trump's got all these issues, all these problems. Nikki Haley is going to be the um, the uh, the independent-minded candidate. She'll resonate with. I mean, they create these. They'll rig polls. I mean, they do this all the time. I mean, they'll pay twenty grand, thirty grand, forty grand for a poll that helps them raise ten million dollars. I mean, why wouldn't you rig a poll? I mean, they'll, they'll oversample. I'll tell you how it works. Somebody asked me yesterday, what do you mean by that? I mean, I'm talking to someone and what do you mean by that? Well, you know what? I, they will, they will poll Trump in places that Trump underperformed. I mean, when they hire a polling, let's say the consultant goes to the pollster and says, or maybe it's all in house. Let's say, um, you know, XYZ consulting company has its own polling divisions. They'll find the poll. They'll find the counties in America the Republican counties where Trump underperformed, and that's the only places they'll poll. They'll poll independent females. They'll poll suburban moms. They'll overweight, you know, our college-educated voters, wherever they think Trump's weak, and they'll go to the candidate and say, look, Trump's not as strong as people says he is. And they'll go to the media and say, hey, we got this poll. Look at this poll. Trump's only up four in Iowa. He's only up two in South Carolina. Remember the nonsense that Rachel Maddow spewed about you know, Trump's going to lose South Carolina. I mean, that's, that's, that's consultant-driven. I mean, that's all about consultants. And the Republican consultants say, hey, Trump could win South Carolina if we don't raise $100 million. I mean, those are rigged polls. And they're rigged for a purpose. And it's not to 
drive turnout. It's not to win elections. It's not about making the country a better place. It's about putting money in their pockets. And we've got to figure out a way to address the greed of our consultants that, that, are, that have gained so much influence in the Republican Party's process of picking a nominee. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, Robert and I talked yesterday for about an hour, actually about an hour and 20 minutes. Robert called me about something that had nothing to do with politics. Um, he's grieving over the Green Bay, excuse me, the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Robert's season ticket holders at the Cowboys. I mean, he grew up a Cowboy fan. He's not married, doesn't have kids, so he spent his money on what he chooses to spend his money on. And he's a big Dallas Cowboy fan, so he buys season tickets at Jerry World, and he hardly ever goes, but he lets his friends enjoy, you know, the excesses of, of um, Dallas Cowboy football. And I got to say, um, if you think the Gamecock and Tiger Stadiums are something to see and behold, you go to Jerry World. My daughter went when she worked with Trafalgar as an intern. She said, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's like the craziest experience you could imagine. But Robert and I began talking a lot about the problems. And, and Robert has a very insider's perspective, but he's not revered inside. I mean, Robert's not well-loved inside the GOP. He would be obstinate. He could be difficult. He wants to see um, things change. And I was thinking about Sununu and Haley, and I think I may have even said this. You know, um, Sununu's driving around New Hampshire in a red Mustang. I mean, this 69 fastback or whatever. I mean, somebody out there knows more about cars than I do. It's an old model Mustang convertible, kind of a classic car. Cool Cool as can be. I mean, very cool. Um, If you're a Ford person in particular, it's about as cool as it gets. Um, but it's, it's more, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me in my car. And I told Robert, I said, Robert, they're not going to beat Trump with a Batmobile, but it's cute. <laughs> He's got this red Mustang and John Sununu yesterday impromptu, we're led to believe gets in a tube and rides down a sled or rides down this little snow incline hill. And he gives the big thumbs up. And I just think our voters, and I think Josh could probably give more insight to this than I can. I grew up believing that's the way it was done. I mean, it's the Norman Rockwell, you know, look at me riding. I mean, I'm just like you are, you know, look at me riding in this red Mustang and look at me, give the big thumbs up as I fly by on a tube. I think young voters find that silly. I mean, it's so plastic. It's so rehearsed. It's so orchestrated. And I'd rather hear Trump cuss. I mean, I'd much rather hear Trump say something profane yeah, keeping it real. than I had John Sununu and Nikki Haley's at the bottom of the hill. Oh, my, look at him. He's just like everybody else. <laughs> Give him the big thumbs up, John, when you pass the camera. And we're stupid enough to believe that's just, ad, I mean, that's impromptu. No. I mean, the, the, the red Mustang is all about look at me and my cool car. I mean, I'm a car guy. Thumbs up. I'm a, it's plastic. It's rehearsed. It's, it's orchestrated. And you go to a Trump rally. And the beauty of the Trump rally is nobody knows what he might say next. I mean, nobody has any idea what he might say next. Some of the consultants cringe. Some of the advisors, oh, oh. But there's so much authenticity there. Josh, am I on to something? Yeah, 100%. I was talking about this with my grandma last night. You know, she's we're, we're on the phone and she goes, you know, DeSantis, we just heard DeSantis had dropped out, so it came up. And she goes, you know what the problem with Trump is? He's so abrasive. We need to get back to this, like, civility and being cordial. And I'm like, no, that is the problem. That Because the 
you know, the donors, as you, as you're saying, these consultants and what we're being scammed. We are the losers, but because we have to shake hands and kiss cheeks, it, it goes under the radar. But, but it seems to me the jig is up. I mean, it seems to yes. me that, that we're on to that now. So the I red, hope so. What are the, the red Mustang, the, um, the snow tube ride with the big thumbs up and governor Haley's at the bottom of the hill, you know, dressed to the nines, you know, with, with the camera position just right. I mean, it seems to me that we are embracing those who say things that are abrasive, that are controversial, that we don't hear politicians say very much. I'm telling you, the future of the GOP could be Haley Ramaswamy. I mean, if Haley's going to maintain that status quo line or lane, that establishment lane, and, and we're looking for somebody post-Trump, I mean, it could be J.D. Vance. I mean, Vance is not as controversial. And Vance is not as, um, I mean, Vance is smart. I mean, he was a Trump surrogate yesterday on one of the, it might have been Martha McCallum's show. Um, yeah, I think it was Martha McCallum's show. And then he was on, what's the, what's the lady that's on for Stephanopoulos? It's not Radich. Yeah, Martha Radich. Mm-hmm. I think he was on with her. And he acquitted himself well. I mean, you know he would. He's a very serious man and a very smart man and a very educated man. Uh, he has decorum and reverence and all these things, but he's very much supportive of Trump. Hadn't always been, but I, I think he sees the writing on the wall. I'm kind of like, I hope Ramaswamy may be the guy we pass the baton to because I think he says things that he genuinely believes. It's not poll-tested. It's not consultant-driven. And I, I just think it's a better day in the GOP when fewer consultants are getting fewer dollars and more candidates are telling you what they believe. I mean, it, 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 I, I, be careful with that because it's not poll-tested. Be careful with this has not been poll-tested. And I, I just think the GOP, the Trump vote in particular, just don't buy into some of the nonsense that the pollsters and the consultants are, uh, are, are talking about. So, so where do we go from here? Uh, I mean, that's a fair question. Um, I would imagine the consultants are shaking in their boots in South Carolina for fear that something could happen tomorrow that ends this campaign. Let, let me say this. The campaign's over. If you're somebody who wants Republican, a Republican of the White House and you want to restore some level of uh, limited government, and by that I mean an EPA director that will be constitutional, um, you know, a commerce secretary that will be constitutional, a, um, a transportation secretary that will be somewhat constitutional in honoring his obligations, and you're writing a check to somebody not named Donald Trump, you're helping Joe Biden win. Now, there's still this story out there that Biden won't win. Um, there are smart people out there that believe that. There will be some shenanigans at the convention. There won't be an announcement of uh, Michelle Obama or uh, Gavin Newsom or Kamala Harris. I mean, but they're going to do something at the convention to replace Joe Biden with someone uh, more electable. I don't have any idea. I mean, I certainly don't have any inside information there. Um what happens with Trump and some of the convictions and the indictments, the Fannie Willis trial? I heard coming over this morning, some of the, um, they're asking for receipts on certain trips that Fannie Willis and old Bo took, um, you know, the one she hired to help her <laughs> prosecute Donald Trump. Well, now we find out that they may be a little more than just business associates. Um, what do you say? Don't uh, play where you get paid? Uh, well, they may have been playing where they get paid. But uh, anyway, um, we'll find out that in due time. But the, the Republican primary is over. I mean, it was over when Donald Trump decided he's getting back in. 
but but nobody can say that. I mean, I understand you got to let some of this play itself out. We've got a um, we've got some data in Iowa. We'll have more data tomorrow. Under under what scenario do we come to South Carolina questioning the outcome? There is no scenario. I mean, Trump's going to be above fifty. Is he going to be fifty-five? Probably not. DeSantis. I mean, he'll get seventy-five percent of the DeSantis vote. Boston Globe poll had him at fifty-three. I think the CNN poll had it fifty thirty-nine. Uh, I would imagine. I mean, let's say Haley comes within seven points of beating Trump. It's going to largely be independents and Democrats. I mean, there's about eighteen precincts that ran out of ballot, ran out of forms to reassign your party affiliation. In other words, I'm a registered Democrat, but I want to be a registered Republican today so I can vote for Nikki Haley. But I think 18 precincts and some of the early voting, they ran out of forms to train, change your um, your ballots. An open primary, um, so, so have at it. You know, uh, Nikki will get a lot of independents. You'll get a lot of Democrats. I hear on Larry Hogan yesterday, I mean, big Larry, saying that, um, you know, this is why Nikki Haley needs to be the nominee. She's more appealing. She's more attractive to independents and, and conservative. Dem- I mean, do you really believe that the Democrats aren't going to vote for Joe Biden. I mean, do you really believe? I mean, it's foolish to believe that, that, that Democrats are going to be loyal to Nikki Haley more than a, than a registered and lifelong no. I mean, that's absurd. But, you know, we live in some pretty wild and absurd um, at times. The, the big losers in this could be the consultants. I mean, that, that, and, and they're going to pitch stories today. I mean, you rest assured there will be story after story after story. The consultants woke up at daylight this morning convincing the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, ABC, CNN, this isn't over. But this isn't over. And there'll probably be a, a kind of an accelerated conversation, well, an amplified conversation about Trump's legal troubles. You got to remind people there's always the threat that Trump gets convicted and he's disqualified. So we, we better play this thing out just to be safe. And I got boat payments and plane payments. Take a break. <laughs> Back in a few. You know, I think we need to dig in. It, you, you, one of the overriding conversations in Davos, I mean, I just got back. One, one of the overriding <laughs> conversations in Davos amongst us elites is right. the instability in the world. Uh, the instability. In other words, there are, there are businesses in America today that are going to wait 12 months to have major investments made. It depends on free trade. It depends on globalist policies. They understand that populism is percolating all over of the world. The United States obviously being the big player in that. But um, another topic of conversation in Davos, Rev, um, is how China has become such a factor in the geopolitics of the world. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I mean, the, the irony there. So the globalists who allowed China to become the economic power or concerned about China becoming an economic power. Um, I mean, it's not the, the man on the street. I mean, the man on the street didn't make China a member of the World Trade Organization. The man on the street didn't give China trade favorable or favorable trade status. I mean, the, you know, just, we don't make those decisions. You guys that go to Davos make those decisions about who or who not is in the World Trade Organization, who or who not is allowed to gain favorable status with big Western uh, consuming countries. You do that. So it's just pot, meat, kettle 101 when the, the elites gather in Davos and express their concern about China 
and how they're becoming such a dominant player in geopolitics, not just economically, but we're talking about militarily now. And, um, and I'm thinking about, well, look around the room. I mean, all of you guys are the ones that decided it's almost like we want China to make things and stay poor. But if we let China make things and they gain enormous wealth and build a, a thriving economy, then all of a sudden we can't, you know, tell them to make these widgets for little or nothing. Um, and that's kind of where we where we are. But but one of the one of the macro of all macros is the elite establishment globally, not just in America. I mean, we would be a microcosm of that. But what they're doing to resist some of the populism. I mean, they're trying to say it's totalitarianism. And it's uh, it's dictatorships and all these these other sorts of things, but it, in all honesty, it's nationalism that they're concerned. It's kind of an anti-globalist. I mean, anti, the, the intervention part of it would be military-industrial complex-centric, but the other would be very very um, concerning to some of these major international corporations that have depended on globalist policies that that I've said disadvantaged America, advantage the rest of the world, disadvantage the American worker while advantaging. Uh, the rest of the world, but um, it, it'll be very interesting to watch Davos take away after, because um, there, there'll be a point in time that the elites decide we can't stop populism. How do we harness it? How do we negate its influence on how we transact the majority of commerce country, um, country to country? 843-661-0937. First hour in the books, back in a few. Okay, someone's challenging me on a text. I'm not saying the Democrats don't have consultants. Stick with me for a second. I mean, there's some things that I, I kind of sort of know. There's some things that I'm pretty sure about. There are things I'm adamantly, I'm adamantly convinced of. The Republicans' party, the Republican Party's problem when it comes to the consultants, they're not real believers. I mean, they're, they're capitalist. <laughs> so if you want to say the party is centered on capitalism and free markets, I mean, they, they're all of that. They'll take as much money as you'll give them. And they'll convince you to give them more and more and more of the money. And they're very capable. They're just not believing. Here's the difference, Josh. The Democrat Party has a consulting class. But the consulting class not only will take your money and build campaigns and, you know, and, and give candidates advice and, and drive turnout and put mailers and television ads, they believe that they're multiple um, sexes and genders. I mean, they, they believe that chromosomal science is, is a farce and, you know, ma- man's, you could be born the wrong. So they believe that the climate's in imminent threat and danger. They believe that, you know, um, neoconservatism is, is an evil force that has led the world out into the, into the, I mean, they, they, you see where I'm headed? I mean, they'll take your money. They'll run your campaign, but they genuinely believe in this. Something led them down the road of wanting to be a, a, a Democrat operative or a consultant. So if Josh says, hey, I'm thinking about running for governor as a Democrat in South Carolina, the Democrat consultant will say, Josh, it's an uphill climb. I mean, it's a pretty red state. We will do the work, and here are the issues we think resonate with the people, and these are the things that we think we can help you improve your chances. But they're not doing it just to take your money. I mean, they're doing it because they genuinely believe in these things that's the the consulting class and the republican party believes in one thing getting paid that's what they believe in they're globalists they're interventionists by and large and they're they're anti-america first so if the most established consulting firms in the republican party are opposed to america first and the majority of them 
you know, the majority of Republican primary voters are America firsters. How is that not an asymmetrical relationship? So the, the candidate sitting there at the crosshairs or the crossroad, and on one side, he's got the voters. So the voters are loud and clear. I mean, they, they're tired of globalism. They're tired of interventionism. I mean, they want a fairer economy. They're tired of open borders. And on the other side, the consultants are taking the donors' money. I mean, the, the, the voters don't give the consultants money. The donors give the consultants money. And the donors aren't that opposed to globalism. The donors aren't that opposed to interventionism. I mean, do you believe that Raytheon is going to give money to a consultant if the consultant says, hey, tell the candidate that we got too much intervention? I mean, tell the candidate some of these camp, some of these um, military endeavors and, in, and entanglements just aren't worth it. No. That's the problem with the GOP today. The consulting class don't believe in anything except taking the donor's money. And when the donors and the voters have an asymmetrical relationship, it begins to fall apart. And right now, for the first time in my life, I believe the people are winning. I mean, I sincerely believe the people, not the donors, are winning. Now, how many donors come along? How many donors get on board? Um, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Um, for America First to be its most effective, every person who identifies as America First needs to agree to send the America First Grand Central Fund $20 a month. I mean, we've done the math. I mean, if 75 million Trump voters sent 20 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, five bucks a month, whatever that number is, I'm not asking to make a $1,000 contribution or I'm not asking to give a million dollars to political action committee. I mean, there's some that do that and they're probably wise investments in some counts. But we've got to centralize a fundraising mechanism. Is it Trump super PAC? With all due respect, you ready, Josh? You ready, Rev? I don't trust Trump with the money. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't. I don't trust Trump with the money. I mean, I just don't. I think if we're going to build a movement, it has to be funded. And if you believe Trump's going to equally disperse the funds, you get exactly what you deserve. I mean, you're, you're joking. You're, you're not in your head. Oh, yeah. Well, do you agree with me? Well, I think so. But, yeah. yeah. But because there's, you know, there's other things going on there, legal fees or whatever he's having to deal with. But who would you put in charge of the money? That, that is a great question. And I think a lot about that. If we had the ability to raise a billion dollars per election cycle in the name of America first, who do I want calling the shots as to where that money goes, how that money's allocated? Um, I mean, that's an enormous amount of money. I don't want to pay the K Street consultants. I don't want to pay the same lobbyists that Raytheon does. I mean, why am I paying? If, if I'm an anti-interventionist Republican, and I believe some of these entanglements just don't make any sense, and I'm a little bit worried about the American empire, and I'm giving a consulting firm a million dollars a year out of the America First Super PAC. Let's say all of us get together, send 20 bucks, we raise a billion, we're going to send a million dollars to this consulting company, but he's getting $2 million from Raytheon. I mean, do you really believe he's going to represent the interests of anti-interventionism? Of course not. He's going to, I mean, that, that's the point I'm trying to make. I believe there are more Republicans, excuse me, more Democrat consultants who say, not only will I take your money and convince your candidate this is the right thing to do with the climate, I believe in it. I mean, I genuinely believe. Here's a better example. Let's say that, let's say Vivek Ramaswamy is, is a face of the future. I mean, let's say Ramaswamy is one of these guys that is going to be intimately involved in, in America first and at progressing post-Trump. I mean, we got Trump now. It's all about Trump. You know it. I know it. DeSantis find out the hard way. 
Christy found out the hard way. Haley will find out the hard way. You ain't beating this cat right now. You're just not. But eventually, he leaves, and we begin formulating a plan of who, where, when, and how. So, Rev is chairman of the board at America First. He's got a billion dollars to disperse. I mean, Rev, I mean, he doesn't get to call the, the shot single-handedly, but he's got a board, and he, and he goes to the board. He convinces the board, hey, I talked to these consultants. They, they believe in X, Y, or Z. I mean, if we do some political action spending, we help. Uh, there's a Senate race in Arizona, critical. I mean, if we can invest $10 million, the billion we've got, then that's going to be critical. But, but you're going to be fighting against the very people that you think are on your side. The Democrats don't do that. They just don't do very much of that. They're far better at circling the wagons. And the reason they're better at circling the wagons, they have a fundamental belief in what they're funding. If they're funding climate change, they believe that climate change is the next existential threat to the safety and future of humanity on, on planet Earth. The Republican consulting class will take climate change money, anti-climate change money. They'll take anti-transgender money, pro-trans. It doesn't matter to them. They don't believe in anything. They don't have any scruples, but they've, they've garnered the ability to drive media narratives, to, to rig polls, that poll intentionally leaked to CNN. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you the most recent example I can think of. The CNN poll that came out yesterday, I mean, the, 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 the Boston Globe daily tracking polls and the university poll in New Hampshire, I can't think of the poll, uh, Amherst or something like that. Anyway, um, those polls had Trump at about 54 one day, 55 the next day, 56 the next day after Iowa's gaining momentum. DeSantis gets out, I would imagine, that could be 57 or 8 now. CNN comes out with a poll, 50-39. That's the poll the media uses. But they never talk about the Boston Globe daily tracking poll. The consultants convince the media, don't talk about the poll that has Trump up 16, 18. Talk about the one that has him up 11. It's going to be hard to ask a donor to give us money if they believe Trump's up 18. It's going to be much easier to ask a donor for an extra 50 grand to put in a political action committee so we can advertise up until the day of the election if, if we convince them he's only down, she's only down 11. I mean, we can make that up with independent. You see where I'm headed? I mean, it's an unbelievable mm -hmm. narrative. They don't care. Because they're using the polling information to try to sell a narrative one way or another. And, and they'll rig the poll. Yeah, to get the answer they, they need. They, they'll rig the poll to get the answer they need. To continue to basically fleece and suck money. <laughs> to keep the money from coming the donor. In. And that money could be spent to help Republicans win in Arizona, win in Pennsylvania. Now I see how that works. Win in Georgia. Yeah. Let's go to the phone. We have Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. You're on the air. Yeah, an amazing thing is, uh, you know, Biden and the Democrats just bypassed New Hampshire, took them out of the first in the primary, and them idiots are up there trying to get them to write in Biden's name. They can't take you people are idiots for an answer. <laughs> the, the amazing thing about Republicans is I don't know what they stand for. I get surveys about three times a week asking, what are our priorities? And I used to answer every one of them and send them 25, 50 bucks. And then it, it turned into five surveys a week and they wanted a hundred bucks. And then it was, 15 surveys a week and they wanted 250 bucks i'm going just take six things and and run on it but 
like Nikki Haley. She couldn't tell me whether a man could become a woman. And then she says, well, I'll sign whatever 60 senators give me on abortion. We just went through that. We gave it back to the states where it belonged. But yet she's willing to make it a federal issue again. And that makes no sense to me whatsoever, which now I understand Americans for Progress is the one that's funding her campaign, the Koch brothers. Those are the ones that have been against Trump since day one. So, yeah, we need a America First pack or something that I can send money to to get people like J.D. Vance and these America Firsts back in power so that we can turn this place around. Because the ones we got running it now ain't doing such a good job. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Well, let me think about the asymmetrical relationship. I mean, those are my words, asymmetrical relationship between donors and, and voters. But as long as the donors have the money to rig the polls, to create the narratives, the voters are going to be at a disadvantage. We, the people, have to realize that the power of the vote is mighty. It's strong. I mean, it's, 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 it's transcending. But money matters. I mean, money matters enormously in politics. Um, it's a little bit like salary caps in baseball. Uh, the Yankees and Dodgers can make more mistakes than the Braves can. I mean, the Braves have to get it right more times than not. The Yankees and Dodgers and, and Mets can make a mistake or two and be okay because they have enormous amounts of resource. That's no different in politics today. And I think we've got to, at some point in time, ask ourselves, and I understand, I don't, you know, I don't have enough money to make a political contribution. I've never given a candidate a dollar. I'll vote for him, but I don't want to get involved in, in all that mess. What do you get a chance to send 10 bucks a month, 5 bucks a month? I just got a text a second ago. Pretty good name. Jim DeMint. I mean, I think DeMint's a true believer. I mean, he's got some issues, but you're not going to find a perfect person. Um, I mean, to me, Peter Thiel makes more sense than anybody. He's very savvy, a little bit anarchist, um, doesn't need anybody's money for anything, very liberated. Um, but Teal doesn't want to be a money manager. I mean, he's doing uh, bigger and badder things. But you see where I'm headed. I mean, if we had a true believer, and I don't, I'm, I'm not talking about a believer in neoconservatism. I'm not talking about a believer in, in going to K Street. I'm not talking about a believer in hiring the best consultants. I'm talking about a believer that America First is genuinely a sustainable political ideology it can reshape and reorient the Republican Party for the next 30, 40, 50 years, and let's fund it, and let's find candidates that genuinely believe in that. Let's vet the candidates. Because when you, you describe that, I almost picture it as replacing the Republican Party. Well, I mean, I, but you can't do—there's not a switch to flip. I know. That's I mean, why— there, I mean, the There's whole, a long road to travel. That's right. The concept You is, want to flip. I want to, I want to switch. I mean, I, I want to walk to that wall and say, okay— I'm turning the establishment off, and I'm turning America first on. Rev, th this is a 100-mile walk, and it's going to rain some days, and the wind's going to blow some days, and it's going to be cold some days and hot some days. But, but I think the one thing we have failed to understand, we now understand the power of the vote. I mean, Jim DeMint got taught a lesson. Nikki Haley's being taught a lesson. I mean, they were extremely well-funded. The more tainted they were with the establishment, the more people scratch their heads, and I'm not sure about DeMint. Remember the day we found out that DeMint had met with the Bushes? 
and may have met with some of the insider consultants. You mean, you mean DeSantis? DeSantis. I'm sorry, DeSantis. I mean, we knew Haley was yep. that. Yeah. We, we were wondering about DeSantis, and we found out one day that he had met with George W. Bush. Nothing wrong with that. But, but you know, you got to be careful. And then we found out it, that he had hired. It hurt him. Well, yeah, of course it did. It killed him. He never recovered. That's how much animosity the voter has with the donor. Because when the voter believes that he goes and sits down with George W. Bush, he's sitting down with Dick Cheney. He's sitting down with Raytheon. He's sitting down with Donald Douglas and Honeywell and the military-industrial complex. But, but candidates are going to have to do that. How does DeSantis, DeSantis hitting Elon Musk? He's not a self-funder. DeSantis is not a wealthy man. I mean, I'm sure he's not broke, but he's not a wealthy man. So when DeSantis says, hey, I'm running for president, he has to go see Bush. He has to go see the CEO at Raytheon. What, what I'm trying to do is offer an alternative scenario. In other words, if you want to run as an America First Republican, it doesn't matter what Raytheon thinks of you because we got a pot over here with a billion dollars in. And if you need $10 million to run for the Senate, we're going to make sure you get it. And we're going to thoroughly vet. We're going to thoroughly understand your agenda, your platform, where you stand for, what you believe in. Are you a good candidate or not? Can you articulate yourself or not? How many skeletons do you have in your closet or not? But, but if a candidate runs in a Republican Party primary today, he's got to go to some degree kiss the ring of the money class unless he's got his own money. I mean, Teal doesn't have to do it. Musk doesn't have to do it. But how many of you can write a check for $10 million and say, I'm running a pure Snow White campaign for Senate and I'm not taking anybody else's money? You can't. you got to go curry favor with some of the donor class because the America First doesn't have the organized fundraising that we need. How many of you would give five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month? I mean, do the math. If half of the people who voted for Donald Trump, we'll do the math in the break. If half of the people who voted for Donald Trump gave 10 bucks a month for the next five years, how much would America first have in the bank and how much more effective would Vivek Ramaswamy running for president in 2028 or J.D. Vance running for president in 2028 be? 843 Six six one oh nine three seven. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one oh nine three seven is our number. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a statistician. I am a former politician who understands that money matters, and it is different, Josh. There's no doubt about it. I don't know that money matters as much as it did, but it still matters. I mean, it matters enormously. The reason DeSantis got out, he ran out of money. I mean, I can assure you of that. The reason Ron DeSantis canceled his two appearances yesterday on Sunday morning shows, they didn't have any money. I think that means his last campaign appearance may very well have been in Florence. He was in Myrtle Beach on Saturday morning uh, in Florence at the drive-in restaurant on Saturday afternoon, and then that was it. So we've got that going for us. But if Trump got 74 million votes, let's say half of Trump's voters. And we did the math. 37 million. I mean, 37 million people gave $10 per month. That's $370 million a month. That's $4.5 billion a year. Let's say half of Trump voters gave $5 a month. I mean, five bucks a month. And we pick the guy that runs the, the political action committee. He doles the money out. He disperses the funds. If Josh, Rev, and Ken gave five bucks a month, that's $2.25 billion. You own politics. You've got all the energy. You've got all the enthusiasm. The one thing you don't have is money. I mean, Trump's scrambling. Trump's not going to be as funded as Biden. 
They're going to cut his money off. They're going to teach the Republican Party a lesson. And they believe the way they can starve Trump is not have enough money to compete. Now, some of the Wall Street deals will come around, and some of the big shots will come around, but there will be some holdouts that find him so egregious and find him so disgusting. That's an excuse, guys. Wall Streeters could care less whether an ass is president or not. I mean, they, they could care less. They just know that Trump is beholden to his, his army of voters and their interests don't align with Wall Street. Wall Street has no problem with a guy that cusses. Wall Street has no problem with a guy that, that lacks decorum or lacks reverence. Wall Street wants a guy that buys into the notions of globalism and financing an economy. I'm talking about the financialization of an economy intervention. I mean, I don't have any idea how many shares of Raytheon BlackRock own or how many shares of Honeywell Vanguard owns, but it's a bunch. But I love it when some of these Wall Street influencers say, well, you know, my problem with Trump is, is, is he says these things, and he uh, they don't have any problem. Do you not believe some of the conversation that Wall Street boardrooms include colorful language? Really? Really? Um, it's the money. I mean, they're in it for the money. They're not in it for conservative politics. They're not in it for liberal politics. Will the president put people in charge of government agencies and administrative heads that allow us to make money this year than we did last? That's where we're. That's who we're investing in. I mean, if Josh went to Wall Street and gave a speech and said, "Look, this crazy nonsense called America First. We've got to get back to a globally connected economy. We've got to take climate change seriously." And I'm going to try to enlighten the Republicans that have fallen by the wayside and bought into this nonsense, this Christian nationalism, this non-interventionism, this anti-globalism. They would fund Josh's campaign. If you go down the road of nationalism, non-interventionism, anti-globalism, you're going to hurt in the, in the, in the, in the fundraising side. You're going, to, you're going to knock on doors, and they're going to ask you where you stand on this global economy where you stand on climate change, where you stand on energy, and you give those answers, and there's not an alternative source of funding. But if 37 million Americans gave $5 a month, I mean, I would say that's a Happy Meal, but that's half of a Happy Meal now. Happy Meals are 10 bucks, So half of a Happy Meal a month, we're raising $2.25 billion. With a B, $2.25 billion, you run the joint then. Not only do you have the enthusiasm, the energy, the numbers, the mass of people, you've got now the ability to fund candidates that have sincerely bought into your vision of what American politics should be. And, Let's go and that lessens the influence of people like Mitch McConnell to decide where that money scares goes. Scares him to death. I mean, McConnell knows that Vance is going to struggle raising money. You know why J.D. Vance is a senator? Because Peter Thiel wrote a check for $10 million. I mean, think about that, guys. Peter Thiel wrote a check for $10 million to help J.D. Vance win in Ohio. McConnell left him hanging. Now, McConnell did come at the end when he found out he was, when, when, when it became obvious Jay Vance is going to win, McConnell came with a little bit of money. Blake Masters, Robert Cahaley believes this. Blake Masters would be the senator from Arizona if McConnell didn't cut him off. But this Senate committee, of you know, the, the McConnell appropriates and doles out a lot of his Senate fundraising money. Masters was a little too America first for them. And they had an excuse. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning. Guys, you know, uh, this fight, this war, is going to last until uh, 
Jesus comes back is not the song. And, you know, I used to try to make sense of it, and it didn't make sense to me. And I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios that won't make sense, but you better think about it. I don't believe that the coronavirus was a success, the biggest success as they wanted it to be. By that, I mean, I think that when they created the virus, they, in other words, if the virus would have been a success, you wouldn't be talking this morning about you felt like for the first time in your life or with it. So in that sense, the coronavirus failed in some ways. But I don't know if y'all have read this. I'm sure you probably have, though. But the same lab in Wuhan, the house, supposedly has made the perfect coronavirus. It has a 100% success rate on humanized mice. That means every one of them dies and it gets into your brain. Now, it wouldn't make sense for them to release it, would it? But it wouldn't make sense to anything they've done. Now you got another scenario going on. You got these heads of state using terms. I believe the British Prime Minister said we are in a pre-World War status right now. So you have these heads of state that appear, even though it doesn't make sense, appear to be doing everything they can to have a third world war. And uh I don't know who's going to stop that. And you've got, you got to pray that it doesn't happen. But everything that has happened before doesn't make sense. So what's made, what's to lead us to believe that these fools won't release another virus on us and try to get that success they were talking about? Somebody you said last week, one of the guys at Davos was saying, we don't need about half of our world's population due to AI and technology. So all of these things that I'm saying don't make sense, and say, what is that boy called? Apocalypse, whatever the hell that word is. Well, you better think about this kind of things. And my question is, I'm wondering if the quote-unquote senators and Donald Trump, the supposed good guys that we have on, I wonder if they're thinking about that. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. I mean, if you, I would encourage, I mean, if you're a student of politics, you like keeping up with politics, you kind of understand what's making the world go around right now. It, it's worth an hour every day of, of your private or quiet time, whatever you get home and whatever you do. I don't want to say don't read your Bible. I don't want to say don't love your family. I don't want to take you out of your, your routine. But if you want to be more aware of the world around you and who some of the puppet masters are, I mean, they're telling you at Davos what their plan is. I mean, there, there, there are debates about depopulation. There is indeed um, – Research being done now, gain-of-function research being done now in the same virology lab that we believe allowed uh, a leak to work on a virus that has a 100% lethal rate, kills everybody that gets it. I mean, it is 100% lethal. Here's my fundamental question. And forgive me, I'm dumb. I mean, I'm not as smart as a lot of you intelligentsia. But why would you create, why would you allow the the research and create a virus that has a 100% lethal rate? I mean, if, if it kills everything it comes in touch with or everything it comes in, why are we doing that? I mean, I'm sitting there going, look, look I'm done. I mean, I don't understand that. I'm, not, I'm sure there are people much brighter than I that can give a very compelling answer. I don't understand it. You've, you've got a virus that has, let, let's make up a number, Rev. You got a virus that there's a 10% chance when you get it, you die. 
So we take that virus and we modify it. And we do a lot of gain-of-function research. We fund it through all these various Western governments. I mean, the Western world is what funds the majority of this research being done in, in China. And some of the NIH and some of the um, equivalencies in Europe, I mean, Germany and Italy and France, Spain and England. I mean, all those countries send money in, uh, in the name of gain-of-function. But why would you, and once again, there are smarter people than I. I mean, that genome sequence. I mean, I read something over the weekend about genome sequencing. And, but, but the virus they're working on today, they believe if you get it, you die. If Rev gets it, he dies. I don't care how many days you go to the gym. I don't care what your blood pressure is. I don't care how good shape you are. I don't care how high jump and, and broad jump. I'm an NFL football player. doesn't matter. A triathlete. Climb Mount Everest. You get this virus, you die. Why are we doing research, creating viruses that kill everything it comes in contact with? Take a break. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Finally getting awake here at about 740 this Monday morning. Cold Monday, cold weekend. Um, in the truck body business, now is about the time one of my coworkers would have said, I'm ready to see a gnat big enough to have a saddle on. You know, we'd complain about gnats in the hot weather, but it gets this cold. Everybody's bundled up. Nothing will crank. I mean, I, I went on a rant this morning. I can't imagine walking. Somebody just texted me a picture here, Rev, one of our good sponsors, and showed a line of forklifts. <laughs> Sent me the text and said, hold on, let, let, me, let me show you just so people will say, wait, he's making this up. No, I'm not. You see the forklifts? Oh, yeah. The text says none of them will crank. Not a single <laughs> one of the forklifts will crank um, this morning. It's tough out there in industry and manufacturing when it's this cold. You got pneumatic tools and air compressors, and you have condensation in the lines, and it freezes, and nothing to work. And then um, you got forklifts and the cold cranking amps, and you didn't want to buy a new battery because the forklifts on the yard, and somebody could steal the battery. Yeah. Anyway, it's just um, it's hard in in industry and manufacturing, manufacturing in particular. And then he got, you know, in, in my world, in the truck body building world, I mean, this is therapeutic for me. I mean, it's cathartic. Stick with me. I know you don't care. Folks don't care. But everything bottlenecked at the paint room. And everything slows down in cold weather. I mean, if you can paint a truck bed in two hours, it takes you six in cold weather. Because it takes four to warm it up enough to where you can prime it and, uh, and paint it. Josh, I want to get with you because I think you could add some insight here. And I don't think you'd mind me saying this. You're, you're an America firster. But you are a very, ah, you are sympathetic to conspiracy theories even more so than I am. Is that fair? Probably. I mean, I, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I don't deny that. But you're probably even more of a conspiracy theory than I, theorist than I am. So here's my question. I just read this, and I don't know the answer because there is no answer. As we progress as a political movement, as we grow, as we gain more influence and power, there's no doubt we've taken over the GOP. I mean, there's a new sheriff in town, and it ain't neoconservatism. There's a new sheriff in town, and it ain't interventionism. There's a new sheriff in town, and it ain't globalism. America first. I mean, Ron DeSantis tried to have it both ways. Nikki Haley's going to find out the hard way. This isn't your grandfather's Republican Party. America first is by far the dominant, dominant, dominant political energy in the grand old party. But we're more inclined to believe conspiracy theories. We're more inclined to believe, Josh, us America firsters, I mean, we want to throw the bums out. We want to get rid of neoconservatism and globalism and 
interventionism, some of the ruling class, some of the academics. I mean, we want all those people banished from the process. So we're, we're skeptical of insiders. We're real skeptical about what they're doing, the ruling class, the cathedral. I am, Josh is, Rev is, the majority of America firsters are. So, so we start there. I mean, we've all agreed those insiders aren't to be trusted. I mean, those establishment-oriented political, I mean, they're, they're not to be trusted. They don't have Josh's best interest. They don't have Rev. They don't have mine. They don't have yours. They've run the joint for a long time, and look where we are. I mean, the country is really in a bad place. The American worker, by and large, has lost ground when it comes to the economy's affordability. But all of a sudden, Josh, we open that door to conspiracy theories. And you and I and Rev and most America Firsters are more inclined to say, oh, what's under there? What's behind there? When we start talking about gain of function and COVID and depopulation and the World Economic Forum and what those guys do at Davos, don't we marginalize ourselves? I mean, we entertain ourselves, but there's no doubt it's fun. It's a lot of fun to say, you know, that Klaus Schwab, remember that speech he gave in 22 at the World Economic Forum in Davos when he talked about depopulation and he talked about the planet was perfect for 1.5 billion people? I mean, you know what that means, don't you? And then all of a sudden we hear that in a virology lab in China that's already had a leak, we're here, they're working on a virus that will kill everything it comes in contact with. I mean, how, how mainstream can we make that, Josh? How much do we marginalize? In other words, if someone is considering being a part of America first, they kind of buy into this. Eh, we probably have had too many endless wars. We probably have shipped too many jobs. We probably should secure our border a little more. We probably should try, trust China as much as we do. But those nuts believe that the government is intentionally doing research to create a virus is going to kill half of us or 20% of us or 60% of us. How much of that can we tolerate, Josh, before we are the kook party, the nut party, the party that everybody says, I was a part of that, but I don't want to be a part of that any longer? Well, it's a good question because I think we pretty much already are. I I think uh, I know I'm a little... I'm not sure which conspiracy theories you you and I might okay. agree or disagree on. Catch your phone because I want to okay. come back, put them on hold. I want to get an answer. So, Rev, mm-hmm. I mean, when, when we do, I mean, it's entertaining. There, there is no doubt about it. It's very entertaining, and some people articulate it so well that we kind of scratch our heads, like, and surely they wouldn't do that. I mean, they surely they wouldn't consider that a reality. And then you've got people like Tucker. You know, that, 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 that kind of, um, they, they play a game. It's kind of a mind game. The point I'm trying to make, and, and I want to go back to Josh, the point I'm trying to make is to begin with some of what we said about the cathedral, the deep state, I mean, that was a little bit conspiratorial. Now it's not. I mean, the majority of Americans now believe that, um, well, I mean, I told Kahaley yesterday, I said, Robert, you know one, you don't owe me anything, but you know the one poll I wish you'd take? What's that? <laughs> that's, that's how he sounds. What's that? And I said, I wish you would poll independent voters and don't say do you believe the election was stolen. Phrase the question something like, do you believe things happen in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin that have yet to be explained? And Robert said, that's interesting. I don't know if I've thought of that. I said, no, I think we need to know where independents are when it comes to that. The election was stolen. We've lost that debate. But what about the question, hey, you voters in, in Pennsylvania, you voters in Michigan, you voters in Georgia, do you believe that stopping the count in the middle of the night 
and coming back the next day and resuming is a bit odd. I mean, there's a way to pitch that questions that makes independents say, well, I get now why they, I mean, you see what I'm saying? We took a conspiracy theory, but we didn't debate the conspiracy theory under the establishment's terms. We set the terms and conditions of how the debate on the conspiracy. So what sort of debate? I mean, if we believe that there's a depopulation effort in the world, how do you debate that without being so far out there that people say, no, nah, man, I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of that. I would ask this. I mean, just listen to what they say. I mean, the guy came out and said it at Davos, right? But he said a lot of other things. Yeah, but he still said it. Take a break. I want to listen to him. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Sam and Darlington. Good morning. You're on. Good morning, guys. Uh, you're talking about conspiracy theories. Uh, I think it is amazing what the United States government, particularly the CIA, and uh, to some extent the military, but mainly the CIA, has done in secret. And... Um, and the way they've used things. Uh, and so it's believable to me that, that this thing going on in the, the uh, Wuhan lab and, you know, playing with uh, trying to make basically germ warfare weapons and uh, playing, you know, funded by the United States and playing around with that and losing some into the general population. That's believable, and uh, I, I do think we shouldn't go, shouldn't base everything on how bad the other side is. But it is uh, instructive to to read up on some of these things, and uh, you know, and realize that yeah, people can do crazy things. Um, and I, but I think we do need to not just demonize everybody else, but you know, try to. Try to blame everything on the other people, but you know, realize that we got to behave too, and uh, you know, and, tr and try to be not so divisive. That's why I kind of like Kennedy uh, at this point because he's he's calling out things like the Wuhan lab, but he's um, he's not trying to you know start a brush fire like um, like it seems Trump is. Thank you, Sam. That's kind of interesting. Um, Kennedy does talk about some of the very same things Trump talks about, but but he's not as aggressive. He's more cerebral. He's more, here's the way I see things. Trump's more like, oh, you know what they're trying to do, don't you? And uh, and it, But but here, I want to get back to Sam's comment. Cause see, I think this is the reorienting of the debate. I think this is fundamentally where we are today. Jeff and I argue about Trump. But if you listen to Jeff and I talk about something other than Trump, we're not on different planets. I mean, I don't think Jeff trusts the elites. I mean, he kind of accepts that, ah, oh, they're in charge, man. They've always been in charge. I think Tucker said, I'm not in. I'm not opposed to a ruling system and a ruling class and a hierarchical or system hierarchy if they're trustworthy, if they're good, if they're competent, if they know what they're talking about, know what they're doing. I think conspiracy theories become more believable when incompetence reign supreme. In other words, when the government appears to be incompetent, they don't have the moral and intellectual. Um, once, to me, Rev, and once the government loses its moral authority, that's when people begin believing a lot of things 
that they formerly wouldn't believe. And Josh and I are going to, I mean, I want to go down that road because I think it's an interesting, interesting proposition. The, the great debate in America today centered on politics is not big or limited government. It's not. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not. I mean, there there will always be an academic debate about you know bigger government does this, smaller government does that. The the government. I mean, the debate in America today is can the government be trusted or not? Is the government telling you the truth or not? And more and more people believe they don't and aren't. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Josh, you know how you make lemonade out of lemons? Squeeze them. No, when you see the writing on the wall, you get out. And you endorse the front runner and the prohibitive um, favorite. I said last week, and I've thought this for several weeks, that Ron DeSantis can live to fight another day if he plays his cards right. Now, I don't know that he got out because he wanted to or he had to. I mean, from what I've gathered, the money ran out. And when the money runs out, the campaign goes into kind of um, shutdown mode. But anyway, Ron DeSantis dropped out yesterday of the 2024 presidential race. Fox News Radio's Jeff Manasso is in Chicago. Jeff, good morning. How are you? And um, and sometimes it ain't your time, but you can increase the likelihood that another may be your time. Uh, yeah, I mean, good morning. Look, you were in politics. You know when the money dries up. That's it. I mean, it spells doom to your to your campaign. There there is no more because you it, it just takes an unbelievable amount of resources to continue uh campaigning uh, for the GOP presidential nomination and we knew last week that Ron DeSantis while he did score a distant second place win that uh all of his eggs were in in that basket uh in Iowa uh, and, and so you know yesterday in that pre-produced video from Florida DeSantis saying if there was anything he could do to produce a favorable outcome you know more campaign stops more interviews that he would do it uh, that he can't ask his supporters to volunteer their time, their, his donors to donate more resources if there is no clear path to victory. Uh, and as of right now, or le- at least as of the moment he dropped out, he was pulling at about 7% uh, in, in New Hampshire, uh, well behind Nikki Haley, who is still polling well behind that of the front runner, former President Donald Trump. But, Jeff, when and, – and I- I'm not, this is unfair to you. You're not a radio show host. You're a reporter, and I got to respect that. But, but my, my theory is that once Nikki decided to be the darling of the establishment, DeSantis was going to have trouble fundraising. I mean, he kind of sort of wanted it both ways. He wanted to be darling of the America first or second choice to Donald Trump. He wanted to have some uh, kind of establishment influence, the donor class. And, and once Nikki kind of said, hey, I am the guy or I'm the gal that basically will fill this lane the money that could have gone to DeSantis eventually went went to Governor Haley, and he struggled raising money, and the polls reflected that. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's all true. Uh, but, look, I mean, we're going to see really quickly what donors decide to do. I mean, she's as, as we talk, she's trailing. The latest Monmouth Washington Post poll out this morning uh, shows that while Haley is still picking up, she's, she's picking up more support in terms of the independent vote in New Hampshire ahead of tomorrow's primary. But, uh, you know, she's still trailing Trump by double digits in, New, in South Carolina. Does she go back to her home state to be embarrassed like that? Um, maybe not. Maybe she will. Maybe she'll find a path with some donors who really are anti-Trump that much to where they're going to continue to fund this campaign, even though what we're seeing right now is that it's 
it's going to fizzle out in terms of her support, her votes. But anything's possible. Uh, we shall see. Uh, she she told Fox and Friends this morning that this is this has always been. Uh, well, she's always said this was a race. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, her race against Donald Trump, that it was a, it, it was a race. Um, it was a two person race. She says that you know Ron DeSantis dropping out it now confirms that. She also says that his supporters are up for grabs. I don't know. Uh, you know, the the, the days ahead are, are going to let us know, but it looks like. Donald Trump is on on the path to a, a pretty good night tomorrow in New Hampshire. Yeah, it's it's been a one man's race at the beginning. We just try to our best to make it as yeah. interesting as we possibly. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. Yep. Have a great day. Um, I mean, it's been a one person race since the get go. Let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, nobody was going to beat Donald Trump once he got in. Um, Alvin Bragg. I mean, I still go back to Alvin Bragg. I went back and read some of the graphs. I tried to to kind of correlate the day. Um, I mean, I've said a hundred times on this show, I mean, people ask me all the time, where did Trump come from the day that the government decided to bail out the banks? And there's a fair debate to be had, good, bad, indifferent. I mean, I think the government made money on TARP. But Joe Sixpack saw his federal government bail out some of the biggest financial institutions in America, uh, some of the wealthiest individuals in America that had kind of created or been part and parcel to creating a big mess. And I just knew that some outsider, some populist was going to be inevitable. I mean, we're, we're going to have a day sooner than later that somebody tapped into that raw energy and emotion. And when Trump t- decided to get back in and they started attacking him, I just knew that his, uh, I mean, I, you hate to say coronation and inevitable and all these other sorts of things, but I mean, it was obvious to me that I mean, this train had left Town, and there was nobody going to stop it from securing the nomination of the grand old party. They're the closest thing to an incumbent without being the incumbent you can be. So it does kind of make sense. And, and, and I'll say this, can DeSantis rejuvenate himself and come back in 28? I don't know. Uh, but he, he did what needed to be done to give himself the best chance. I mean, I think you got Ramaswamy, you got JD. I mean, there, there'll be a lot of people on the scene in 2028 to try and carry the America first banner um, forward. But the hard lesson learned in this, and it's not hard to me, it's refreshing and encouraging to me, is I mean, this party is America first. I mean, it's not, I mean, you know, this deep divide. It, there's a divide, but it ain't real deep. I mean, when you got 25% on one side and 75% on the other side, that's not a deep divide. I mean, it's, it's intense. And those who have built, you know, enormous prosperity within the Republican Party, they're going to do what they can to hold on to it. But this is not a 50-50 proposition. I mean, this is a political party in America today where 75% of its constituents ascribe to the notions of, of America first. Can they recruit some of the moderate Democrats, some of the independents, to, to be a part of this movement? Donna Brazile yesterday, I thought that was interesting. Donna Brazile is a former DNC chairwoman, and Donna Brazile said, let's be honest. I mean, I've heard her say this. Hogan cringed when she said it. Because Hogan's been running around the country for a year saying, you know, Trump doesn't have a chance to win. Trump's going to lose. He's got all these problems. The voters will review. I mean, anyway, uh, Larry Hogan and Asa Hutch instead of Chris Christie, I mean, they're just part of the old machine. They don't know any other way. Uh, it's a little bit sad to believe that we care what Larry Hogan says. We care what Chris Christie, some of the voters don't care. And I don't believe the public cares. But in the name of reinforcing your value with the insiders, 
Larry Hogan takes Chris Christie's place on the the Power Roundtable or whatever it is on on ABC News. Do they have a clue how unpopular Larry Hogan is with the voting base? Do they have a clue? Well, they do now. I mean, they found out the hard way. Big Chris didn't do so well with uh, with the rank and file Republican uh, voter. That's where the party is today. I mean, that's just where the Republican Party is today. I was as sure as I'm sitting behind this microphone that it was somewhere north of two and three. I'm convinced it's probably closer to 75%. Uh, percent, and Trump's going to win the nomination. He's probably going to deal with a bunch of um, legal issues as we go through the spring and summer. What effect or impact that has, I don't know. But if I were a betting man today, I'd bet Donald Trump president of the United States in November of 2024. Does that guarantee? No, of course it doesn't. A lot can happen between now and then. I think the biggest question, two big questions that I think we'll find answers to in the next 120 days, um, who Trump picks as his VP, that's going to be kind of interesting because Trump's going to be a one-timer. I mean, he can't run for re-election. So whomever he picks, there's a couple of theories there. He could pick Marsha Blackburn. And we know that she has no interest in continuing on. And it's an open field in 28. Or he could pick Christy Noam or Vivek Ramaswamy. And they become the inevitable front runner in 2028 if he wins uh, the presidency. And I have no idea what Trump's thinking about that. Um, I mean, Kahaley and I talked a good bit yesterday about that choice. And I said, Robert, the one thing about, about Blackburn, nobody believes that she's going to try to be president after, after Trump leaves office in 2028. And it would be an open contest again. I mean, it would be no incumbent. I'm mean, a free-for-all, Ramaswamy, uh, DeSantis, maybe Haley. I don't know. Um, I mean, Nikki's strategy is, well, the, let me get the other big point first. The other big point is, does Biden make it through the convention? Biden will make it to T.O., the convention. Will he make it through the convention is another question. I'm still listening to what David Axelrod says and writes. I am so interested in what Axelrod says and writes. I read it every day. I listen to that guy every day because he speaks for Barack Obama. And once again, there will not be movement until the convention. That's when they will replace Joe Biden if they don't believe he can beat Donald Trump. I mean, they'll make that, they'll, they'll do some shenanigans in the convention. Republicans have done it. I mean, it'll really be a lot of, it'll be like the old days of the convention. I mean, that's when you pick the nominee, the old days, the unpredictable nature of the conventions. Now it's kind of a ceremony made for television and nothing crazy happens. Very it's seldom just crazy things happen because it's kind of been preordained and, and, you know, eyes dotted and T's crossed and deals made. Um, I'd love to go into a DNC convention and not know, you know, and how do you do that? How do you replace uh, him with, is it Kamala Harris? Is it Michelle Obama? Is it, is it Gavin Newsom? I don't know, but those are the two fundamentally big questions. And, and I think one has another question within, and that goes back to Trump's VP. Does Trump pick the person he believes is best suited to carry this, this baton for the next leg? Or does he go to Blackburn and say, look, I know you don't want to be president. You probably don't have it in you anyway. Um, so I want you to run with me. You help me with the female voters. You soften up some of the edginess of my campaign. And you and I both will get out of here in 2027 and let Ramaswamy and DeSantis and whomever else 
have at it. The the strategy Nikki has to be employing, the only strategy that I can think of is that it all blows to hell. That Trump gets convicted, that America finds out some pretty devious things he may or may not have done, that it's kind of the I told you so candidate. I told you it was too risky. I told you America first is too out of control. This populism leads to controversy and complications and and just not cohesive government. We need to get back to doing things in a very normal and and reverent way. And I stuck to my guns. I mean, I, I was the normal candidate at a very abnormal time. Look at what the abnormality got us. And I think she that's her only hand. I mean, that's the only hand she can play. And I'm not talking about Trump losing. I'm talking about Trump getting smoked and America first having egg on its face and Trump, you know, being indicted on several significant offenses. And Nikki can say, I didn't fall for the craziness nor the stupidity. We all should be ashamed that we did. And she is the kind of the, um, the darling of the next election cycle and the Raytheons of the world, you know, make sure she has the funding she needs. So those are unknowns. But I think interesting points to um to debate. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike. Hey, good morning. Uh, great show as always. But I I tell you, I think uh the the you probably have a significant point there uh as far as uh as far as the people that uh they they bailed out the banks but they hung out to dry all the normal people and uh, uh, just the uh, rank-and-file people in the Republican Party back in the uh, in, in uh, 2008 through 2012. It was just uh, a slaughter for small businesses. And then this, uh, this uh, virus thing, COVID-19, came along and uh, finished off the rest of the the uh, small businesses. And the small businessmen are what's keeping this economy going. And that's that is that that's criminal what has been done to them over the uh, and <laughs> to people like me that are just hanging around the edges for the last uh, for the last uh, eight twelve years. It's just been awful. And I, I don't think you can uh, replace that with uh, now we're going to get back to normal and everything because I don't think there is no norm there is no normal for us to get back to. And as far as these conspiracy theories go, shoot, ever since uh, 1973 when I walked around down there at uh, Daly Plaza, I have been tilting more and more toward conspiracy theories ever since because uh, the, the the craziness of uh, Jack Kennedy's uh, assassination is just uh, it blows my mind. But that they they would come out with that uh, silly Warren report, and I I waited for that thing to come out, and it finally did come out, and it was a bunch of nothing. And they didn't cover anything. They didn't investigate anything. They had the magic bullet and everything that uh, couldn't deform no matter what what it struck. That was just uh, craziness. But uh, I hope and I pray that I live long enough to vote for Trump again. And uh, I, I want to vote for him every chance I get as long as I'm on this earth. But uh, the... the these people, they don't care about the normal people, and I, I really do believe that uh, they would do anything for money and power. 
and and it's a dangerous time we're living in, and I hope we can get some good people out there that are halfway honest, at least uh, uh, honest liar. If you want to call Trump an honest liar, I think uh, he's probably the squeakiest clean businessman that's ever been in New York City because they've sure uh, tried to uh, uncover everything. But the thing that amazes me is they could get 51 intelligence uh, experts and people that had run the CIA and such to sign a, a, a ball-faced lie of a letter saying that he had Russian collusion. He's probably has the least Russian collusion of anybody. If anybody had Russian collusion, that was the Democrat Party. And I am absolutely fed up with the Democrat Party. As far as it's saying, oh, we're we're anti, we're helping the little guy and everything. They're not helping anybody except the elites, and they've always been that way. And they've always been running uh, false flag operations ever since the Civil War, the biggest screw up in American history that didn't need to take place, and like and and it wouldn't have taken place. If you hadn't had a bunch of Democrats sitting in there letting uh, people get out of control. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. We'll be back in just a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Daphne and Dylan, good morning. Good morning, guys. Uh, First of all, you've got to understand what their intentions are before you can battle uh, you got only to read Klaus Schwab's Great Reset, listen to what he says about COVID being a blueprint for control, about climate change, re- giving them trillions of dollars of revenue to enact their plan. All you got to do is read the Weather Underground Manifesto which was mainly Bill Ayers, Barack Obama's mentor, and what they said about reducing the world population in order to control. Also, Cloward and Piven overwhelmed the system with welfare and tax dollars and growing government. The Communist Manifesto. The Times Magazine article that was written in 2021 about how they rigged the 2020 election and how they can do it again. Also, you've got to understand that Planned Parenthood, which we are forced to fund, and the abortion issue that the Democrats are so incredibly on board with was founded with the intent of eliminating blacks and disabled, another depopulation plan. Uh, You've got to understand that they took over not only the media, but higher education to brainwash kids. You've got to understand that they figured out that that's not giving them enough people uh, on their side. So now, they want to go permanent with the children in kindergarten. And I was going to ask you, uh, Ken, what would you do if you were at a Bruce Springsteen 
uh, concert, and somebody came up tomorrow after all those years had passed and said, Ken actually uh, sexually assaulted me or raped me sometime in the 90s, but I don't remember what year. And the judge says, well, you owe this woman millions and millions of dollars. And you walk out the courtroom and you say, I am not guilty of this. She's a liar. And then the judge takes you back in and finds you again because you denied what she said. Those are the most ridiculous things that we are living through currently. So everybody needs to think about what can happen because of what has happened. Thank you. Thank you, Daphne. You appreciate that. I am in the process, spent a good bit of time on the cold weekend watching football and I told Rev, I got up early Saturday morning to watch some John Adams. I mean, I wanted to rejuvenate the American patriotism <laughs> that, that just kind of uh, reigned supreme. That's a great in my In my inner being. Um, I want to lay out all the charges. Uh, you know, the pros and the cons, the good and the bads. Uh, you know, some of the bogusness about it. Some of the seriousness about it. Uh, so, some of the time frame that I think some of the experts are suggesting. It's all about getting a conviction. I mean, this is the story of the summer. Can we convict Trump of a crime? I mean, if we can convict Donald Trump of a crime, it's less likely. We saw the polling in um, in Iowa. About 30% of Republicans said they would be real concerned about voting for Trump if he were convicted, not indicted, innocent to proven guilty, due, press, due process under the law, but if he's convicted of a crime. So in essence, what Trump is trying to do is slow walk any criminal convictions. They're trying to expedite more quickly. Oh, but that's the story after South Carolina. You know, I think Manasso made an interesting point, and I don't know the answer to this. I don't have any idea if Nikki decides to come to South Carolina or not. I mean, I don't. Um, to me, she has to. She has no other lane, guys. Nikki Haley has zero chance of being the nominee if America First wins in 2028. She has a chance if America First implodes. I mean, once again, she can be the I told you so candidate. I told you this was too crazy. I told you this was too out of the norm. I told you uh, this couldn't be sustained. I mean, she can be the adult in the room, so to speak. She's always going to be funded. She's never going to run out of money because she's got the donors in line with her. We're talking about America First a second ago and raising money and where, did, where does it get its funds from? The Wall Street is a hedge. I mean, they, you know, corporate America will hedge. The rich guys and ladies will hedge. I mean, they'll give to Trump, and they'll give to the other. Trump will be funded enough to win the presidency, but if it implodes, if he's convicted of a crime and gets smoked in the election, Nikki Haley can stand behind a podium and say, I was the adult. I mean, I was the one that told you we can't continue this nonsense. If Trump wins, or if it's close, Nikki's done. I mean, I don't know where she goes from here. So she's got to kind of follow through as far as she can, as long as she can. Um, you know, if she gets smoked in New Hampshire, I don't know what you do. If Trump gets 56, 55, 6% of the vote in New Hampshire, I don't know. Don't have any idea. I, I, I told someone yesterday, at least Walter Mondale won their home state. I mean, Reagan beat Mondale in 49 of 50 states. But I can tell you this, if you lose your home state by 30 points, you wrote your political obituary. I mean, that's it.
I mean, you, you can't come back from losing your home state by 30 points. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Speaking of Nikki Haley coming to South Carolina, did you see the South Carolina delegation that was on stage with Trump on Saturday night? And I recognized a lot of faces from that delegation. Russell Fry, um, Henry McMaster, Pamela Yvette, Alan Wilson, Speaker Merle Smith, right? So it's like the South Carolina. Who's I guess, running the state, man? I mean, that, that's what I'm worried about. Who's running the state? I, I guess that that's in your face. I don't think Henry was there. He was. Henry was there. Yeah, okay. I saw it. All were in New Hampshire. Yep. Um, All kissing the ring, making sure that everybody <laughs> knows, hey, I'm on board with, with this America first. I want to go back to, we got two calls and we'll get there in two seconds. I want to go back to the issue that I think is relevant. And Kahali and I talked yesterday for a long time. I mean, we talked about Formula One racing. We talked about the Cowboys, the Gamecocks. We talked about, you know, I mean, just a lot of things other than politics. But at one point in time, I told Robert, I said, Robert, you're the pollster. I'm not. But I think it's important that we know, we who want Trump to be president of the United States, we need to understand, Josh, where the independent voters are on January 6th of the 2020 election. And the question doesn't need to be, do you think January 6th was okay or not? It doesn't need to be, do you think the election was stolen or not? Here's the two questions. Ask independent voters in these swing states, hey, does something not add up about the 2020 election? I mean, you got to figure out a way to couch it and pitch it and be fair-minded, not, not a push poll. I mean, you can't do it to your advantage. You want to get an honest understanding of where the independent voters are on the 2020 election. And it would be something like, you know, I mean, it would be, it would have to be kind of a, an, an encompassing question. Um, they stopped counting in these states. Wonder why they stopped counting. I mean, you kind of place a seed of doubt in that independent mind's hand, but you don't just, you don't frame the debate where he doesn't consider, ah, come on, man, stop with that nonsense. It's got to be fair minded. And then uh, on January 6th, do you believe that there's a chance the federal government could have had assets? infiltrated the events of January 6th. I'd love to know where independents stand on that. The majority of independents, I mean, I've seen a Gallup and a Monmouth poll. The majority of independents have questions about the 2020 election. 58% of independent voters in America have questions about what happened in 2020 in the presidential election. How many questions? What sorts of questions? I think that's important when the GOP tries to put its messaging together about January 6th and the, the election that Trump says was um, the most crooked election in our country's history. Let's go to the phone. Jason and Marion. Hi, Jason. Hey, good morning there, fellows. Ken, I don't know if you get to see a lot of these clips that come across social media, but for some reason they just pop up. And I saw one Friday uh, from the PBD podcast, and they had Glenn Beck on. And I guess it's been kind of making some rounds, but um, – they were talking about Trump and, you know, vice presidents, and this was obviously before DeSantis had dropped out. And I almost thought Glenn Beck was joking around because I just – this doesn't seem like Trump. But Glenn said that Trump actually, you know, called him and asked him advice for his um, vice presidential pick. And Glenn had told him that, um, you know, he thinks he should pick Vivek. And the reason, another reason I thought he was joking around was because I've always heard that Trump had already had his VP picked out long before this and that they've already talked. So I don't know if Trump's maybe having 
getting different thoughts from people. But it's very interesting why Glenn Beck said that um, he should pick Vivek. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to see that, but he talked about like the young the young demographic and that a lot of the young demographics don't want to support Biden, but they're really not on board with Trump yet. And he said Vivek can, you know, cater to that that younger demographic, and you know, Vivek will defend Trump, you know. While Trump's doing something else, Vivek will be over here defending Trump on this or that. So I, I was just, I just kind of thought that was very interesting because Trump told um, Glenn that a lot of people had been telling him, you know, about Vivek and how he should be. So I, I hear, love to hear your take. I'm not sure if you saw that little clip or heard about that. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, I've seen the clip. Uh, Beck says, I'm sure I'm not the only person he called. I'm sure he called, you know, a lot of people trying to get input. I mean, it would be smart to call a. Uh, nationally syndicated talk show host like Glenn Beck. I mean, Beck's a smart guy. I mean, nobody's accusing Beck of being a dummy. I mean, I think he's different, very different, very unusual in the content of his show and the way he goes about his business. But I've never said Beck was dumb. It doesn't need to be considered at all. Um, I mean, at times, Beck bothered me by, I mean, remember, Beck was totally opposed to Trump for a long time. I mean, he was 100% opposed to Trump. But he's admitted that, hey, I mean, I, I was wrong. I didn't see this energy. I didn't understand this energy. Um, I'm not sure Beck. Beck likes to portray himself as more moral and, you know, decent and ethical and spiritual than, than a lot of others. And I think he's bothered by Trump's issues with morality and issues with, with virtue, issues with, with spirituality. But, I mean, I think it would, it, would, it, would be, it would be smart for someone in Trump's shoes to call someone like Glenn Beck and get his take on who the VP should or should not be. And he did say Vivek. And one of the main reasons he said Vivek is there has to be a non, an unapologetic defense of America first. I mean, you're not saying, hey, I understand some of you feel this way. And I understand some of you feel that way. I mean, Vivek doesn't apologize for anything. I mean, he's full throttled. It, it's, it's gas down to the floor. He's and more aggressive than Trump on and, some and, things. And, and, and as a, I think he helped Trump at the primary because I think Vivek said things and softened up Trump, took some of the edginess off Trump. But can can independents support Trump as the less edgy person on the ticket? That that concerns me a little bit. I have no doubt that Vivek is part of our future. He's too bright, too articulate, too understanding of the issues, and I think he's genuinely a believer in the uh, in, in the patriotic part of nationalism and commitment to country, and you know, believing the values and democracy and liberty and freedom and you know, uh, anti-censorship. I mean, he's big on, on speech and whatnot. I still think Trump needs a female. I mean, I still, if he were to call me, I'd say some female. I mean, you choose the one, but you, you're underwater with females in certain places that are going to cause us problems if we don't address in some way, shape, or form. Let's go to the phone. Joel in Mullins. Good morning. You're on. Thank you, sir. Um, I was wondering, Ken, if in your studies and your research, have you come across anything that indicates to you that the election process uh, in 2024 is going to be more honest and above board, transparent, or are we just bracing for whatever might happen? Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, I think Georgia's done a good bit in securing their election. Uh, they've not done as well as – I mean, they, they've not gotten it completely rooted out. But I think Georgia, doing away with the drop boxes, some of the chain of custody issues – 
uh, some of the unsolicited mail-in ballot issues. There's an issue with contested ballots. I mean, I don't want to go, it's just far too weedy and wordy to go down. Um, But I think Georgia has done the best job of addressing some of the issues that we dealt with in the 2020 election. Um, I mean, Robert believes, I can speak for Robert, Robert believes that Maricopa County has replaced Philadelphia as the most egregious offender of election law in America. I mean, you know, because yesterday I said, Robert, we're talking about Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. And I said, you know, what is the state that Trump is more likely to win? Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada. And Robert believes Michigan is very much in play, the pro-worker. Robert believes that the green energy deal, you know, the the electric vehicles and the, the pursuit of a better way to energize our economy, decarbonizing our economy, has created a great a great amount of anxiety in some of the you know, so some of the labor unions. Now will they pull the the lever for a Republican? I don't know. But Robert believes that right now, handicapping Georgia is going to go for Trump. I mean, I'm convinced of that. Um, I think Nevada goes for Trump. Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. I mean, those are the states, and of those states, Kahaley believes that right now, things can change, right now, Michigan looks to be more uh, in his favor, but he has deep concerns about Pennsylvania and Arizona not addressing some of the issues the caller was talking about, uh, voting impropriety. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Barry in Sherall. Hello. You're on. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Ken, did you happen to see that they're floating out Michelle again? I do. Uh, So uh, the theory is that Biden will uh, replace himself uh, uh, right before the convention. They'll vote on it. Throw Michelle in. Uh, Hey, we're losing you, Barry. You're walking away. We can't hardly hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're better now. Much better. Sorry. Um, so, so the theory is, you know, replace Biden at the convention with Michelle. So, uh, if they go that route, they're trying to save the black vote and the young vote. How do you think that plays out? And I got one more question for you after that. I, I mean, I, I, Robert and I talked. The there's going to be an attempt at some point in time during the convention. I mean, obviously they'll get ready for it before then. But the Democrat National Convention will be very interesting this year. Because many, many of the people that matter don't want Biden to be the nominee. But I, it would be total speculation if I told you how they'll orchestrate or organize that. But, yeah, there's a big faction of movers and shakers in the Democrat Party that want Michelle Obama to be the nominee. And I find it funny that it's going to be in Chicago. So it sets up perfect for that. Don't you, don't you agree? No question. All right. So did you happen to catch the Heritage Foundation president? going to Davos and, and, and telling off the globalists what's coming. I did. All right. I, could you play that for the audience? <laughs> I, that, that's my man. That's my man. Well, he along with the, with the, uh, with the guy from Argentina. Uh, that, I love it. Yeah, they both blasted uh, Davos. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate that. You know, one thing you've got to understand, if, if I believe that there are two movement leaders in America, I mean, I don't know that I'm right, but I think I am. I mean, you've got a the, the former movement of Barack Obama transforming the country into something different than what you and I wanted to be. You've got Trump on this other side, a movement leader, a political disruptor, a Molotov cocktail, whatever. Uh, you got you got competing forces here, and they've got huge followings, huge bases, 
a huge amount of influence over those two bases. The one advantage Obama has is he's much younger. I mean, he's a movement leader that has another 15 years of his prime to do what it is um, he decides to do. Now, can he figure out a way to swing a convention that ends up nominating Michelle Obama as the nominee? Um, he's a very talented politician. David Axelrod is very supportive of whatever it is Barack Obama wants to do. And in fairness, somebody here, sir, we are at a disadvantage. Obama's not 78. I mean, he's got a lot of runway to be a movement leader. Um, he's not going to obviously be a candidate for president ever again, but he can pull some strings and he can work behind the scenes and get things done. And he's, he's a lot younger. Um, so he's a lot more time to see things through. That's why I think it's important we make America first less about Trump. You can't not make it about Trump. I mean, it's, it's impossible to make it about anything other than Donald Trump right now. But, but what do you do for the next 10 or 15 years? Take a break. Back in a few. There's a lot of energy and enthusiasm in the America First wing, which is a big wing of the Republican Party as we speak. I mean, it was a challenge to, to find your footing. You had all this resistance from the establishment, the donors, the organized, the organized structure, the media, the pollsters, the, the consultants. You won that. I mean, there is no doubt about it. You are the clear winner in the battle for the heart and soul of the grand old party, period. I mean, the, the second ain't close. You won that to the tune. I mean, it may be as much as 75-25. So since 2016, when Donald Trump rides down the escalator and says things like build a wall, Mexico pays for it, I'm not running for president of the world. So in the, in the, in the, in the, in the succeeding next eight years, from 16 to today, the Republican Party has been overwhelmed by a populist, nationalist sentiment that we identify as America first. Congratulations. You are the clear winner in that what you've not done yet is won the hearts minds and souls of independent voters and moderates and some republicans so so i would pump the brakes a little bit we get very full of ourselves when desantis gets out when christie gets out another another notch in the belt another hide on the wall but you're talking about primary politics and that's why i'm so interested rev in not whether the election was stolen not whether um, January 6th was an insurrection or not. How do independents? I mean, that's the next step in the in the process. When the primary gives you the right to be, you know, the Republican nominee. But you still got to engage an audience of people who are not as obsessively intense about restoring some, I don't know, priority of American workers, American families, and the American way of life. That comes next. And that's going to be a lot harder. Congratulations for over the last eight years taking over one of the major political parties. I mean, that, that mission's not completed, but, but even the other side, I mean, they're, they're not waving the white flag because they're paid to not wave the white flag, but they see the writing on the wall. I mean, they understand now where we're headed. I mean, we're going to be a, a, a kind of a populist-dominated political party for the not-too-distant future. 10 years, 15, 20, I don't have any idea. And anybody that says they do are speculating, as I would be speculating. What we've not done yet is convince independents this is the best path forward. We've got to do that. That's why I'm so interested 
in what they think about the 2020 election and what they think about January 6th. I mean, I know what the media feeds them, and, and, and Democrats by and large buy that, and Republicans don't. But what do those independent voters think about the events of January 6th? And I told Robert yesterday, I said, Robert, I'd love for you. You're the pollster. You're the guru. You're, you're the guy that does the analysis. I'd love for you to poll independent voters on what their feelings are about January 6th and the 2020 election. What do you mean? I said, well, I'm going to ask the question something like, hey, did things happen in the 2020 election that just don't make any sense to you? I mean, are there things that happened in the 2020 presidential election that you have a lot of questions and about? And that's instead of them asking, do you think it was stolen? Well, I mean, nobody wants to verbalize, yeah, I think the election was stolen. I mean, independents aren't going to do that. I mean, some will, but not many. But if you ask them, I mean, here would be the question, simple question. Hey, caller, uh, respondent. Do you believe certain things happened to the 2020 presidential election that hadn't been fully investigated or explained yet? That would be such an interesting number to me. And then on January 6th, do you believe or not that federal assets, FBI assets, may have been involved in the um, in the riot? I'd call it a riot. That way you're not push-polling. In the riot of January 6th. And, and, and take that data, and that way we know how to... I hate to say this. You ready? We know how to market some of that story to independent voters in places that matter. I mean, it, to some degree, guy, is strategy, it's analysis. I mean, it's good candidates back, but to some degree, it's a beauty pageant. And your story's got to look better than the other side's um, story. And I think that's the next step here is, um, and, and I'll, Robert even said, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> so, he, he sound like that when he said <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> He didn't want to talk about the Cowboys and the Gamecocks, so we started talking about <laughs> politics. Let's go to the phone. Uh, Anthony in North Carolina, good morning. Hello. Can't hear Anthony. Do we have another call? Yeah. Uh, Nick in Lexington. Hi, Nick. You're on. Hello, fellas. How are you? Hey, Nick. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're fine. Um, have any of you watched Dumb Money that just dropped yesterday on Netflix? I have not. I was consuming football yesterday. Um, well, there was, it didn't start till three thirty. Um, I think it ties in well to this because it's about GameStop. Do you know anything about the movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how I think it's just showing. It's illustrated how the game's rigged, and I really think that's really the genesis of America first, you know, um, because it was all about a guy on social media saying, I think GameStop's worth more because 40% of their sales. So if you know GameStop, they sell, um, these, these game CDs and game accessories for the PS4 and the Xbox. You're aware of that, right? I knew not not probably as much as I'd need to, but I know a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I was aware so of what you a, just said. So it's a store, but the, you can also buy the games now online. So the institutional investors shorted the stock, saying this is blockbuster. Well, some 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 day traders, which they call day traders in the business, dumb money took the other position because one guy said 
40% of their sales are used games. And if you buy a game online, you can't sell it. You with me? I am. And that they squeezed it so the stock never went down. And then they shut it off. You know, they shut Robin Hood off, which was the free um, stock ex- the free place to stock it. But the point was, at the end of the day, it was about the game is rigged. And then it reminds me what Dave Chappelle said, the reason Donald Trump won, because he's the one that told you the game is rigged because I'm a part of the game. And I think it's a good homework assignment for you, so to speak, to tie it all together. You know, I, and then I think about the old George Carlin thing, saying it's not like they get in a room. It's just all the rich people have the same common interests. All the lobbyists over time have built this system so it won't, it'll only protect the rich, that kind of deal. And I thought it was interesting, and I was hoping you had seen it. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Um, what was the guy that wore the red headband? Something Kitty. I mean, what was his name? Oh, his, yeah. You know I, what I'm talking about? Yeah, uh, anyway, um, he had this pseudo name or whatever. Um, the game is rigged, guys. I mean, the game is still rigged. The game's not less rigged today than it was before. But but here's the kind of the, um, the immovable object and the irresistible force. The immovable object is the game is rigged. I mean, it's there. It's rigged. There is no doubt the game is rigged. I didn't rig it. You didn't rig it. Josh didn't rig it. Rev didn't rig it. I know a handful of people who were in on the fix. I mean, they're good people. I get why they did it. I mean, I, I get why they had a hand in rigging the game. It's very much to their livelihood. They're, 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 the, the, they're, the prosperity of which they've enjoyed, the lucrative lifestyle of which they've lived, is the result of government working a certain way. The game is rigged. Wall Street, corporate America, um, academia, the media, they've rigged the game. Here's where we are, and this is kind of the most interesting point I can make today probably. Can the game stay rigged if a critical mass of people are convinced the game is rigged and refuse to continue to allow the game to be rigged by the same people? That's that's kind of where we are. I mean, it, the game is no less rigged today than it was in 2016. It, we're more aware of it. It's been revealed to us. We kind of sort of know how it works now. Uh, the cathedral. How many of us knew what the cathedral was before Trump got there? No. I mean, they, they, they control the narrative. And once again, I think that a lot of what, for the, for the establishment, for, let's call them the rigors. For the rigors to maintain legitimacy, I mean, that, that's paramount in their world. They have to maintain some degree of legitimacy. Josh and Rev and I have to believe that the people who graduate from the Ivy League need to be running the government. They need to be running the media. I mean, they're smarter than we are. They're brighter. They're more, you know, they're more capable than we are. But the second that Josh and Rev and I begin suspecting that, okay, maybe they aren't smarter than I am. I mean, they're highly educated, but maybe they aren't in this for the right reason. Maybe competency is not the, the 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 prescribed notion that gets you where we thought always you got there. We always thought the smartest guy ran the business, you know, the best reporter did the best journalism. It's not a meritocracy. I mean, I guess to some degree it, at the beginning it was. In the early days of American government, uh, there, there was a certain competency. 
there was a certain expectation we had. But but we have allowed the game to become more and more and more and more and more and more. Quantitative easing is rigging the game. Taking the country off the gold standard is rigging the game. An activist Fed is rigging the game. Um, bank bailouts is rigging the game. Policy is rigging the game. Uh, why can't the government negotiate with health insurance companies on behalf of Medicare recipients? Um, that's rigging the game. Lobbyists that were former congressmen, that's rigging the game. I mean, it doesn't hard to find places where the game is rigged, and the game is fundamentally rigged. It's not a fair system of government. It's not an honest system of government. It's not a government of and for and by the. It's a government of, for, and by the donors, the moneyed interest. And they're beginning to lose legitimacy. And that's, that's, that's kind of where we are today. And that is a monumental moment in American history. What happens in a free country, in, in, a, in a representative republic, when Josh and Rev and I elect someone to go to Washington and we, for the first time, really believe that they're going there to not do our best interest, but rather take care of people who make the city the city go. The, the only thing that has happened in the last eight years, if we become educated, we, we kind of know more about the way they rig the game and what they do to rig the game. And the military-industrial complex is not about national security. It's about padding wallets. It's about making profit. It's about shareholder return. It's not about making the world a safer place. The, the, the patriotic American has a hard time understanding that because they want to believe in the virtue of our country. They want to believe that when Jefferson and Hamilton had this, you know, the, this intense debate, and both were smart, and both were competent, both were understanding of what good government, bad government, and, and decency and honor and integrity and all that were about. Guys, we threw that out the window a long time ago. I mean, that, we, we abandoned those principles many, 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 many years ago. Trump is the middle finger. Trump's not uh, an elixir. I mean, he's not a tonic. He's not something that says, hey, the game is rigged and I'll fix it. Give me a week or two or three. And I told Rev earlier, and I said on the air, we want there to be a switch on the wall where we turn the establishment off, the game is rigged, and we turn America first on, the game is fixed. That's not the case, guys. The, the absurdity of that mindset, I mean, it's a little insulting that people actually believe that this is in a long and arduous journey. I mean, it's going to be a haul, guys. It's going to be a lot of frustration. They're going to win some. I mean, there's no doubt about it that they may win in November. I, I don't think they will, but they may. But we've created enough resistance now that they can't tell us to go home and shut up. They have to deal with us in some way, shape, or form. And that's why I've always said that I want a movement, not a man. I want a political movement that restores fairness in government. I don't want a game that is rigged. I'll, I'll, I'll accept to some degree that you're not going to get perfect. I mean, I understand that. I mean, you got human beings, you got money, you got policy, you got power, you got influence. Good luck with that. But the scales tip too far to one way. And the globalists and the corporatists and the moneyed interest and uh, the Wall Streeters and the corporate overlords, I mean, I, I'm being a bit provocative here, but I mean, they, they, they basically became more important than office holders. I mean, they would draft the policy. They they would they would fund the you know the the make sure the votes work like it should. They're still doing that. I mean, they're still doing that. The the best example I can give you for why I know there's a critical mass: Republicans will not vote to send more money to Ukraine. And the reason that Republicans won't send more money to Ukraine is they don't believe you support it. I mean, that's how I know we've gotten in their head that they're concerned 
about what to do or not to do. Um, there's a particular state elected official, not statewide, but an official in this, um, in this state that I'm concerned about. I think he made a bad decision. Talked to somebody on his team yesterday. I think he made a fundamentally bad decision. I like the guy. I think he's right on about every issue, but decided to get involved in the presidential campaign in a way that I don't think is in his best interest. But, but guys, if there weren't a critical mass opposing the game is rigged, there'd be money being sent to Ukraine today. But Republicans in the state, the Republicans in Congress are going, I don't want to take that vote. If I take the vote to send more, more money to Ukraine, those damn America firsters are going to find somebody to run against me and beat me in another election. That's a response to the people. That's the critical mass of people now. The donors go knocking on the door. Raytheon, you member of Congress, you, you've always been with us. Why aren't you with us now? Because my people believe the game is rigged, man. My people believe that this is not about national security. It's about you selling bombs and missiles and weaponry. And I can't go back and explain to my people that this is about national security. I mean, that they believe it's imperialistic. They believe it's an empire. They believe that we're just doing this in the name of profit, corporate profit, military, industrial. That's how I know. But, but by, by no stretch of the imagination should we believe that we've won. We've not won at all. We're not close to winning yet. We have won the primary. The Republican Party, by and large, belongs to America Firsters. I mean, there, there, there is outrage on Twitter. I mean, you got all these, these 501c3s and these, uh, what, what am I, these consulting agent principles first and the Lincoln Project. And I mean, they're talking about we got to organize. We got to find these people that aren't going to vote for Trump under any circumstance and convince them to be for the Democrats. That's not a philosophy. That's not big or small government. I mean, they're, they're after profit, they're after prosperity. They've been in control of the system, they've rigged the system, and now they legitimately feel threatened, not necessarily by one man. To be honest with you, Rev, they probably thought they could wait Trump out. Okay. I mean, here's, here's Andrew Jackson 2.0. I mean, it's going to be rough for a while, but eventually, you know, we'll, we'll get the trains back on on time. We'll get the, the buses running back like they like they should. And I think there's a genuine concern now that this isn't going away. I mean, it's growing. It's getting more intense. And and, and it's, it's driven. I mean, I know Trump thinks he's the driver of this, and there's no doubt that he is a one-of-a-kind political figure, larger than life, cuts both ways, chaos, controversy, Um but it's more about us not trusting the government and him being some voting for him is somewhat of a kind of a relief valve for the majority. I don't want to say a, a large plurality of Americans, eight, four, three, six, six, one, oh, nine, three, seven. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, eight, four, three, six, six, one, oh, nine, three, seven. Our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Sam and cross Hill. Good morning. Hey, good, hey, good morning, Can you hear me? Yes, sir. We hear you uh, not as clearly as Kinda. we normally do, but we do hear you. I got some music in the background that I hear coming out of the phone, too. But anyway, uh, what I'm calling about is over the weekend, I saw on one of the shows our representative uh, from South Carolina, Ralph Norman, who has jumped on the Haley bandwagon. And I was just curious to know what you thought about that, because I thought old Ralph would be have been a an American firster. So I don't know if you are aware of that, but uh, just any comments I'd appreciate. 
Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I I knew. I think Ralph and Nikki joined the General Assembly in 04 together. Might have been 06. I think it was 04 when they got there at the same time. They developed a friendship. There's some loyalty in that friendship. Um, I mean, if I were Ralph's political advisor, I'm not. But if I were, I would have said, if you don't want to endorse Trump, stay out of it. Just stay out of it. Ralph didn't. Um, I, I guess there's some honor and respecting the friendship and being loyal uh, to the friendship. Nikki was governor, and Ralph was very supportive of Nikki uh, running for governor. He was in the General Assembly when Nikki tried to get some reform things done. I mean, I was there first couple of years when some of those reform things were trying to be done. Ralph was always a staunch ally of the Haley administration, but there's no way that I would have endorsed anybody not named Donald Trump in South Carolina, but I don't understand the friendship. I mean, I don't understand how loyal and reciprocating that friendship is. Um, I mean, that, you got to count. <laughs> I can count. Uh, I learned on county council, five beats four every time. I don't care how much better my idea may have been than the others. Five beats four every single time. And if you think Iowa and New Hampshire are strongly America first, you ain't seen nothing yet. You, <laughs> you wait till that Trump train gets to South Carolina. Um, I, I saw I, where I, Trump picked up another endorsement from a South Carolina uh, congressperson, Nancy Mace. Well, I mean, endorsements don't matter. I mean, in all honesty, endorsements don't matter. I mean, I guess if you get I mean, 10 these, or 20 or 30. kind of play into the fact that, you know, Nikki Haley is former governor and all these you know, well, leaders it, in our state. But that's are, why Trump's pursuing endorsements. I mean, Trump knows that endorsements don't move the meter. I mean, you're not voting for Donald Trump because he's been endorsed by somebody. <laughs> Josh isn't voting for Trump because he's been endorsed by anybody. It's a way to show that Haley isn't very popular in a home state. See, see, Nikki's going to have a problem because Nikki's gone around the country saying I'm 80% popular in my state. I mean, that's been kind of her sale to um, a lot of the donors. You know, I did such a good job in, in South Carolina that my popularity when I left office was 80%. Well, I mean, it explained that 65-35 loss then, Governor Haley, and it really diminishes her uh, trustworthiness or not. And, it, guys, politics will make a liar out of you whether you lie or not. I mean, it will. Politics is it's, it's a squishy science. It's unpredictable. It's not uh, it, it, two plus two doesn't always equal four in the, in the, in the art of politics, the science of politics. And I think the ballot casting, uh, except for Gwinnett County, Fulton County, and Maricopa County, two plus two equals four. Two plus two equals whatever it has to in Maricopa County, Gwinnett County, or Fulton County. But in other counties, um, it equals about, about the same. Um, I just think Nikki's play. And I thought about it a good bit yesterday when Robert and I were talking. I think Nikki's play, if she comes to South Carolina to get smoked, because she will. I mean, if she comes to our state, she's going to get beat probably. I mean, it, there's no way Trump doesn't get 60% of the vote. I mean, there's probably a better chance he gets 65% of the vote. As bad as Mondale got beat by Reagan, guess what he did, Josh? That would have been in 84. Guess what Mondale did? He won his home state. I mean, he won Minnesota. It was the only one. Yeah, he didn't win any other state, but he won Minnesota. If Nikki comes to South Carolina, gets beat 65-35, I mean, that, that's the beginning of a political obituary, as far as I'm concerned, unless it all unravels. Unless everything goes to hell in a handbasket this summer, and we look like fools for, 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 for voting for someone under indictment, now convicted of three pretty serious crimes. I mean, we're going to have egg on our face if that's the case. I mean, I'm unapologetically a Trump supporter. I'm unapologetically an America firster. 
but it'd be a lot easier to look in the, in the mirror if he's not convicted of several crimes and we find out some things that were devious. Um, you're a Trump supporter. I am. Josh is. Josh, how does it affect your support of Trump if we find out in the Florida case that Trump shared some of the confidential sources or the, the classified information with someone from the Chinese government? I'd vote for him twice. Well, I mean, I get it, but I mean, that's, that's not. It's, it's concerning to it, me. Of course it is. It needs to be. I mean, it needs to be very serious. Um, I mean, there, there, I don't I mean, think that's honesty, happened. No, you, I don't you've either. taken that calculus. I've taken that calculus. I mean, I don't think that's reality. But what if that happens? I mean, Nikki Haley is well positioned to be the candidate to reform this nonsense, this craziness, this out-of-control Trump phenomenon that we were drunk with for eight years. I mean, that's going to be her narrative. And, and I think that's the only hand she has to play. Well, guess what politicians do? They play, they play the hand they're dealt. And if she is indeed the benefit, if she benefits from that happening, once again, I don't think it happens. But, it, you know, my oldest son one day accused me. We had a business together. And he said, so, so you're telling me to think about all eight of those things? I said, yeah. He said, so you believe that everything is going to go wrong. I said, no, I don't think everything's going to go wrong, but I want to have a, an answer if it does. <laughs> I want to have a um, kind of a, um, a plan in case all of these things. What, what if we got 10 things to do and none of them go as we thought they were? I mean, the odds are five will go our way and five won't. Some days six or seven will go your way. Some days three or four go your way. But I'm prepared or try to be prepared. What if all 10 don't go my way? I think you've always got to put that on the table and consider that part of of the equation. And I think Nikki Haley's card to play is it all unravels. It all goes to, you know, we're in a handbasket and she's standing. That's kind of the moral authority of the craziness. I didn't buy into that. I mean, I, I was the one person that did not buy into that insanity that Trump dumb or Trump um, Durant. Yeah. You see where I'm headed. Um, there's no other, there's no other lane for her. DeSantis made a very, shrewd decision, but he was forced to make it. It's not like Ron DeSantis said, hey, it's not my time. I'm going to endorse Trump and hold on to this $100 million we've got in our account. I mean, DeSantis was out of money. I mean, he's out of gas, out of money. So he did what any smart politician would do. Go the way the wind's blowing. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there, there's no, I mean, there, there's no heroic nature in what Ron DeSantis did. I mean, I know these speeches with the American flag, you know, when you've got the red tie and you're standing there as a kind of a virtue warrior, you know, I've given it the good fight, but, but I'm resolved now that this guy is going to be our nominee. And I want you to know that I am solidly in his camp. I mean, he's thinking about next time, but he's also thinking about, I mean, if he said what he, what the truth is, and, and I would probably do this. I think the American public, Josh would be a good example. Josh, what would you think if DeSantis went on the stage yesterday and said, you know, as much as I'd like to continue this chase for the presidency, I'm out of money. We don't have a damn dollar in our account. And I can't ask these young people to work and not get paid. It didn't work out. It didn't go well. I still think there's some things about Trump we should all be concerned by. But I'm in his camp. I'm in his corner. Of all the choices I got to make, with no money in the bank, I'm limited. So I don't have any money in the bank. Donald Trump does. The people have spoken loudly and clearly. And he's going to, they want him to be the guy. And if they want him to be the guy, I want him to be the guy. And I'm going to do whatever I can to help Donald Trump be the next president of the United States. I just hope he doesn't ask for any, for any money because we don't have any. 
I just think that authenticity <laughs> resonates with people. I just think the average voter goes, wow. I mean, that's a breath, breath of fresh air. I mean, he admitted he'd probably stay in if he had more money. He'd probably see it uh, Super Tuesday if he had more money, but he doesn't. And if you don't have money, you can't buy edge, you can't pay people, you can't do the work necessary to run a campaign, so I'm out of here. And I would have even added at the end, I'm going to do everything I can to help Donald Trump get elected except give money because I don't have any. And our campaign has blown through more than you can imagine. And look what we got to throw, show for it. Very damn little. <laughs> I, that would I just, be too honest. Well, I, mean, I just think there's beauty in that. I really believe that the voting public rewards you for expressing some degree of humility, honesty, and authenticity. But instead, he did a little of that. You know, it didn't work out. Not our time. I want to help this guy be president because that's who the people want to be uh, president. But I think he could have added that other element of, um, you know, we're out of money. And when you're out of money, you're done in this game. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Talking about Governor Haley and talking about the gubernatorial race. I mean, Henry's been governor, what, 10 years? Yeah, yeah. If, if I don't get in trouble, Henry, well, I mean, I'm thinking about how the the chronology of what happened. Uh, somebody sent me a kind of a spreadsheet of when I left uh, unceremoniously and when, <laughs> when, when uh, McConnell took over, Henry got elected, Nikki. Uh, anyway, that's uh, kind of a story. The next governor of South Carolina needs to focus on two things. And I want, I want to go down this road with some of our uh, legislative delegation when they're here Friday. I was looking through some statistics of, I mean, South Carolina's growing like crazy, but, but it's not growing in a way. It's growing with a lot of retirees. I mean, with no doubt about it, we're increasing the workforce. And I'm not complaining about the rate of growth, but but it seems to me, if I, 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 this would be a better way to to say it, Rev. If I were running for governor today, for the state of South Carolina, I would run with a simple kind of a, a postage stamp platform. We're going to add to our energy grid quicker than any state in America, and we're going to abolish the state income tax. But what is the rest? That's it. That's it. The rest will take care of itself. We'll grow our economy faster than any other period of time in South Carolina's history if we invest in our energy grid, if we create legislation that empowers energy producers, and we're going to abolish the state income tax. It would be, it would be so simple as that. I think that's a winning message, a winning formula for whomever, and we're hearing a lot of names. I mean, you got to believe Alan Wilson is interested, especially after the Murdoch trial. Uh, Pamela Evett, a lieutenant governor, is going to obviously have an interest. I've heard some other congressmen or senators who aren't very um, keen on going to Washington week after week after week. Uh, what is Tim Scott going to do? I don't have any idea what Tim does, but Tim could have an eye uh, on the gubernatorial race of 2026. Um, but that would be my platform. I mean, we're going to unleash our ability to produce energy. We're going to add to our energy grid at a quicker pace in any state in America and quicker than South Carolina ever has. And I'm going to argue with the General Assembly about the benefits of abolishing the state income tax. I mean, we're growing. There's no doubt. There's nothing wrong with the way we're growing. But I think there's a, a challenge to meeting the demands and needs of the growth. And I think that would be a better way to... Ah, grow in a more proportional um, and beneficial fashion. 843-661-0937 is our number. 
Is it trivia time? It can be. Yeah, we uh, we got a bit behind Friday when we didn't follow through with our honored just, just ran out commitment. Of time. We did. We ran out of time. You callers, you <laughs> calling in and want to tell us what you think. Um, anyway, thanks to Pepsi to Florence. They sponsor the Monday and Fridays. Take Mondays to make Fridays trivia. We try to be a bit creative. We try to be um, sensitive to the topic we're talking about here. But before we go down that road, I want to thank Pepsi again for all the support they've given us all these years. We've been on the uh, on the radio. First right answer, first correct answer wins a six pack of Pepsi and a couple of takes Mondays to make Fridays T-shirts. Drew McKissick, the esteemed Drew McKissick, called in Thursday and said something that was inaccurate. I don't think he intentionally did it. I'm sure he didn't. Uh, I'll say things that are inaccurate at times. you got a lot to say. You say a lot. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you, you make a full pie. But Drew said that South Carolina picks presidents. And in the last X number of years, we picked the right person to be the nominee every time. Not the case. Hmm. Who was the last person to win the Republican primary in South Carolina but not win the nomination of the Republican Party. 843-661-0937. The last presidential candidate to win the South Carolina primary but not go on to win the Republican nomination for president of the United States. 843-661-0937 is the number. Is there a caller? Hi, yes, you are on. What's your guess? Trump in 20. Nope. I uh, didn't have a primary in 20. 843-661-0937. You're on the air. What's your answer? I'm going to try Newt Gingrich. You're right. Newt Gingrich. In 2012, won the South Carolina primary, did not win the GOP primary. Who is this where you're calling from? This is Cutler from Darlington. Okay, my man. Sit tight. We'll get you back to Josh. Y'all to get all your – Josh will get all of your information. We'll get you a couple of six-packs of uh, – sorry – a six-pack of Pepsi product and a couple of Takes Mondays to Make Fridays T-shirt. I've seen those T-shirts around. I mean, on the back, Takes Mondays to Make Fridays. Appreciate you guys wearing yeah. them when you get them. Um, I would I would probably suggest layers today. Um, not a T-shirt kind of day today, but I think it is starting to warm up. I think the high today will be 50-some-odd. Um, the cold, cold, cold weather, we think, is in the rear view. Now, I'm sure because of El Nino or La Nina, and this weird weather, we'll have another episode or two or three before the winter is through. But it's about as cold as it gets this past this past weekend. It's cold and stayed cold. Um, well, you're not kidding. Yeah. But it's going to warm up this week. It uh, looks like the warmest day is predicted to be Thursday. And you're right. There is a chance of rain that increases Thursday and Friday. A 36% chance on Thursday and 74% on Friday. I got a Newt Gingrich story real quick. Got a couple of minutes here. So I got asked to go to, uh, that would have been Carolina's hospital systems at the time. Dr. Eddie Floor was a good friend of mine and helped me in politics. And Dr. Eddie asked me to come introduce Newt. And I told him, I said, I want to stay out of presidential politics. Man, I don't want to get in the middle of that. I got enough to say grace over. I mean, I was being investigated and all these other sorts of things. But I kind of fly by the seat of my pants and I don't let people script me and what um, and I'd always liked Newt. I mean, I did. I thought Newt was smart and understood the, the relevant history involved in that particular time. That would have been pre-Trump. 
Um, Newt was a bit of a, I don't want to say an outsider. That's his speaker. And he, I mean, nah, there's no way to call Newt an outsider. Obstinate. There you go. He could have been an obstinate character in the, uh, in the Republican Party. And um, so I endorsed. I mean, I introduced Newt. And I didn't endorse because I don't think endorsements matter. And I, I think I may have said something to the effect of, when I introduced Newt, I said, you know, I don't know that people in South Carolina allow fellow politicians to convince them who to vote for or not. But when I go to vote next Tuesday, I'll vote a, a ballot in favor of Newt Gingrich. And Newt began speaking, and I had to be in Columbia, so I'm standing against the wall. I think I might have shook Dr. Eddie's hand, left, got in my car, and I felt like I needed to give the staff at the lieutenant governor's office kind of a heads up. So I called, I think her name was Ju- Julie Foster. I called Julie, and I said, hey, just so you know, I, I think I may have <laughs> just endorsed Newt Gingrich for president. She said, oh, we know. We know. So what do you mean? We know. She said, it's scrolling at the bottom of CNN. And some of these embedded reporters are there. And by the time, I mean, this is on my way to my car. By the time I get to my truck, um, Julie called me back and said, hey, we we need need a a press release because I'm getting calls from six or eight or ten national media organizations. And it was, I mean, it was at that moment I realized how powerful social media had become, the Internet in general. Um, it was just bizarre to be in, in 30 seconds. I mean, it's scrolling at the bottom of the screen on CNN. By the time I get to my car, I want to lock it up and tent the windows and hide from everybody. But we, in the course of the next five minutes, kind of came out with a little press release. Who gives a rat's ass what I have to say? Well, I found out that people do genuinely care, uh, what, you know, elected officials have to say about other, other elected officials. But I mean, I, I just... <laughs> It's kind of bizarre to me that I even consider to give the courtesy. I mean, it would have been like me just showing up in Columbia. But for some reason, I said, I felt like I owe them. Because you could in- interpret what I did. as an, I mean, all I said is I don't believe the people of South Carolina give a rat's rear end, you know, who I'm voting for or try to strongly suggest that they vote for somebody that I, that I favor. But, but when I vote, this is the guy that I'm casting a ballot for. And, oh, my, um, how the news <laughs> travels and, uh, and how it did travel. Newt won South Carolina. And and lost. Uh, John McCain ended up winning. Uh, no, and I've been Mitt, Mitt Romney. Romney. Mitt Romney ended up winning. Winning that primary was the nominee, and that's the election that we should have won, and didn't. Um, Romney was too nice, too polite. Uh, remember the debate when the big girl kind of corrected him on stage, sure, and he kind of let her slide. Can you imagine her doing that to Trump? <laughs> and Trump say, "Hey, are you a are you you are you a candidate or are you a moderator? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are you going to do here? You're a nasty yeah. person. Have another donut." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> takes right, Mondays probably. to make Fridays. Yeah, it's um, it's a different era <laughs> in politics. Enjoy your day. We'll talk again tomorrow.